Welcome to Michigan Hockey Cast 6.1, where uh, we could still use a couple more dudes. It has been about five months since we have done a hockey cast, and probably for good reason. But that's almost half a year. Wow, I didn't realize how long it's been. That's been it's been a nice break. But anyway, that has mostly been summertime, where there's very few hockey being played, at least at the collegiate level. So what was your fun, non-sports summer thing that you did? Or your favorite, or a story you would like to share with us? Uh... I went to South Carolina, went to Chicago, uh, went to Grand Haven, Michigan for a bit. So Not New York City? No, but did a few little trips in there, and uh, you know, weather was pretty good generally. It was really nice weather in Michigan this summer. It was. You know, I get those... It was a rainy summer. Well, I get those emails from, you know, like newsletters or whatever. You get keep, emails from newsletters? Of newsletters. Of like, newsletters. Like keeping me updated on the news. And <laughs> is that how you get your news all summer? Well, no, I like no, but these okay. are the like I catch up on them at like the end of the week or whatever. So I click through ah. like, five of them pretty quickly. And all summer, all the stories are about like hottest summer of all time in Phoenix, or hottest summer of all time ever. And it's like heat waves across the U.S. I'm like, man, not where I live. <laughs> everywhere but here, apparently. So because it was pretty tame here, but everywhere else, I guess it was really hot. So your favorite parts were that you traveled. And that when you weren't traveling, you had great weather. Yeah. All right. What was your favorite trip? I'm not gonna not gonna rank them. We're not gonna rank them. I went with different people, so so then we can't disclose. And them. all those people listen to this. I presume. you never know. <laughs> all right. Well, so in typical preview fashion, we will go through the Michigan hockey roster, which is uh smaller now than it was before, at least for a period of time anyway. Um, and we can talk about, we'll talk about the forwards first, then defense, goaltending, and then in the next segment. So if you don't care about the team and you don't care about who's going to play and do what, you can skip ahead to the second segment where we will only talk about opponents. But if you're listening to a Michigan hockey broadcast podcast and you only want to listen to opponents, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so, the first thing to discuss is the fact that during the exhibition on Saturday, Michigan Hockey released their line chart in numerical order. I mean, they, sec- they separated, obviously, forwards and defense and goalies, but it was all in numerical order, so uh, I don't think Frank Nazer will be on the fifth line. Yeah, I mean, all these people were like, wait a second, these don't look like real lines. <laughs> because they weren't! <laughs> So we can go in order. Uh, that means that it actually will be a little bit top heavy. I tried to color code them on my notes so I could see that. But um, number two, I don't even know if I'll know all their numbers, but number two is Rutger McGrady, who is a former first round pick from a couple of years ago. He was a freshman last year, played really well, I think, had about a point per game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, 18, 29, so exactly a point per game. He had 39 points in 39 games. For a mid-first round pick, uh, I was pretty happy with what he did last year, and I would expect at least a little bit of a jump this year. Yeah, well, the interesting thing for me is Michigan was such a high-scoring team last year that I felt like when I was doing the season preview, my initial thought was like, 
you know, Rucker was like good, but he wasn't that great last year. And I look up the stats and I'm like, wow, he had 18 goals. and Yeah, he almost points. had a 20-goal season. You know, my thing for him is I want to see him uh, drive play more this year. Because last year he was on a line predominantly with Fantilli and Brindley. And yeah. I really felt like they drove the play. And they were the ones that really pushed that line forward. They made a lot of stuff happen. And Rutger finished his chances and all those sorts of things. But I want to see him become a more dominant player. Someone that when he's on the ice, he's taking over the shift. Is he a play driver by nature, do you think? He could be. I mean, the biggest thing for him is the skating. That's what's got to improve. And thankfully, when Peter was at the World Junior Summer Showcase, which was post on the site in early August, um, you know, the reports were the record looked quicker, that his, really? his stride looked faster, which is what you want to see. Because I think that, particularly with Brindley and, and Fantilli on that line, I think those guys were kind of ahead of the play and, and Rucker was trying to keep up a little bit. And I think if he's a little bit faster and he can then become a little more aggressive in the corners, that uh, he can become a much more well-rounded and, and sort of dominant player and uh, start to impose himself on... Uh, opponents. His shooting percentage was about 15 and a half, which seems a little high. Does that seem like something that he can maintain or is that maybe uh, just getting the puck depends in the on, net? It depends on the nature of the chances. I mean, he was taking a number of high percentage shots, so I wouldn't read too much into it. It's possible that he could maintain it. Okay. He also scored six goals on the power play. I mean, obviously he was a big part of that. He will probably play first power play unit, I would assume. Probably, yep. On, um, ah, would you put him in front of the net, or is he more of a winger? Could I, do, assume, could do I assume they're do, they'll probably do a one-three-one, maybe, especially on the first power play unit if Casey's playing up top. But anything else about Rutger that we need to go over? Not really. He, I, I, I would probably guess that assuming he plays at the same level or higher, he's probably a two and out. Yeah, I would say more than like because most first-round picks are. Yeah, and he's going to be an NHL player. It's not like probably yeah. he, he's going to tap out in the AHL. I wouldn't think anyway. He'll get his crack at the NHL. Yeah. All right, another guy in the top six. So basically, you know, we don't know the lines, and, and there's not a clear defined player that fits in a certain category. In my mind, um, maybe other, you, you've you had projected lines in that you've sent to me before, and, and obviously those could be true. Um, it's not always how Michigan has started their season. I remember like Estapa and Moyle were in the top six last year or the year before even a little bit, and you're just like, uh, all right. Coaches well. love to cook up weird stuff out of training camp. Yeah. So we'll just co- kind of continue through the guys, but a guy who's probably going to be in the top six. There's a good chance he's in the top line, too. Gavin Brindley rode shotgun to Fantilli last year. Had a very nice year himself with 12 goals and 26 assists. I mean, 38 points in 41 games. Basically what McGrady did, McGrady did um, a few points less. But I thought he fit really well with Fantilli. It'll be interesting to see him without Adam. Brindley was dynamite in the second half last year. He started a little slow, but then after... Which is when they switched him to the Fantilli yeah, line. and then after New Year's Day, then he was really, really good. And that's going to be a question for him, is is what he's able to do without Fantilli. And it'll be interesting to see him respond to that test. There's obviously a question of where he's going to play. My guess is he will play on the wing, but he has the ability to play center. He played a little bit last year. Just depends on how they want to set up their lines. But I think he's such a good four-checker. He's really good in the corners. Um, he just outworks the opposition. He's not a big guy, but he just is a worker bee. And yeah. if you read the profiles from different scouts leading up to the draft, 
in June, that was the overriding thing that all the NHL scouts were talking about, and it's pretty obvious because the thing with Brindley is he doesn't really have any one NHL projectable trait. You know, he's not an elite shooter, not an elite passer, not an elite skater, not any of that stuff. But he's just good enough at everything. And that when you combine it with his his motor, which never stops, then he's a really effective player. And I think because he's so good at forechecking and, and you know, goes deep in the zone, you'd rather have him on the wing be able to do that yeah. as opposed to having to sort of fall back and maintain the middle of the ice and the different center responsibilities. So, you know... He'll have to find a, a new center if he's playing on the wing to get some chemistry with, whether it's T.J. Hughes or Frank Nazar. And if he can continue to produce and, and translate that into offense, that'll be a good sign for him. Well, I remember like some of the first games that he played with Fantilli. He played, obviously, on his wing and went into the corners and just yep. started digging pucks out and throwing him in the center to Fantilli. And you're like, wow, uh, I'll take as much of this as you could give me because like, this is exactly what was needed on that line. And it seems like what you're saying is that could continue this year. He'll probably also end up on the power play. Yeah, um, he'll play on the penalty kill. Yeah, that yeah, because he and Fantilli, I think, played on the yep. penalty kill last year, and they were pretty good. Um, Brindley had a power play goal. His shooting percentage, like you said, not maybe the best shooter, was a down around nine. He and has half. the ability to. He had that one really nice rip against Ohio State uh, in the Big Ten tournament, but. And at the NCAA level, his traits are certainly better. When we say he doesn't really have an elite trait, that's you know more from more NHL NHL sets. projectables. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, the next guy that I have on here numerically, uh, Josh Ernesty, which I just found out based on the pronunciation. Guys, looks like it's pronounced Ernesty. I think we'd been calling him Ernice all summer. Whatever. Maybe he has his own pronunciation, sort of like this year's version of Halem. Yeah. But he is a transfer from St. Thomas. St. Thomas, which is a school in the Twin Cities, if you are unfamiliar with them. And the most notable thing about that whole endeavor was that I believe one of the coaches for St. Thomas uh, took a swing at one of the coaches for... It was a confrontation, <laughs> is what it was described Was at. it... It wasn't a punch? No, it was somewhere between a confrontation, a physical altercation. And a brouhaha between two people? No, that was what was described at the College Hockey News article about it. <laughs> so, apparently, at least to St. Thomas, he is definitely a player worth losing. Well, he was second on their... Well, not worth losing. Yeah. Anyway, second on their team in points uh, last season... He was one of their better players. He's interesting to me because as a general overriding thing with the transfers they brought in, when you look at the microstat profile, which Peter presented in his hello post that were on the site uh, over the past month or so, all of these guys fit specific needs, generally speaking. Mm. And with uh, Ernesty, you have the ability to win loose pucks and do a lot of digging and be really effective around the net. And you look at this team. This is a small team. They don't have a lot of big guys, right? Which has generally been the case over the last few sure. years. But, I mean, Nazar, I believe, is listed at 5'10". Brinley is listed at 5'9". Dylan Duke, obviously, is in that same range himself. He's more of a physical uh, player, though. Sure, but these are not big, heavy guys. Okay. And Ernesty, I believe, is their second tallest player, and I believe he's their second heaviest player. He's one pound been behind Estapa in weight, and he's a guy that is going to give them a little bit different of a skill set. And 
his abilities to do some digging and then get up around the the net, his stats that Peter presented around the net in the inner slot were really good. He compared him to a bunch of quote-unquote power forwards from Mm -hmm. years gone by in the Big Ten, guys like uh, Jagger Joshua at Michigan State and uh, Matthew Nyes and players like that. Ernesty's numbers were really good among that like 10 player sample he had in terms of winning loose pucks and finishing ability around the net. So I don't think he's going to have a very diverse skill set. I don't think he's going to be super talented, but he fills the specific need that the team has as a bigger, more physical player who uh, is good in those areas of the game that Michigan has needed to some degree. And I think he'll fit in well as a complementary piece on any of the top three lines if he can hack it, obviously, uh, to be an asset for the team. Does he also seem like a guy you could put in front of the net on power plays? Yeah, yeah. He also, he played all over because it was St. Thomas, but he yeah. logged like two and a half minutes per 60 uh, on the penalty kill. So he has the ability to play there, and that's probably some or one of the reasons why they brought him in. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Well, in a big body like that, you're going to be able to win positional battles and like be able to block shots on the other end and we should note he was a freshman at st thomas so michigan has him for three years so this is a long-term investment and not uh, a grad transfer yeah he did go to i think the avalanche development camp too so i mean he is getting he did get some stuff he's but you think he's not a they let the past jobs go to development (laughs) camp so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think we're going to slide right by that one. But yeah, all right. I mean, it's it's just if you're a decent college player, you get invited to those camps. It doesn't necessarily indicate. Well, but that tells us sure. that yeah. Ernesty is probably at minimum a decent college player. Sure. And if Michigan can write his name in for the next three years, that's a win. Yep. It's also probably what led to an altercation. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. Um, Michigan's probably uh, – I don't know if crown jewel is the word here, but of, of their recruiting class for this year is Nick Moldenauer. They didn't bring in a large class of to be or freshman this year, but Moldenauer was probably the one get. He was drafted, uh, was it a year or two ago, I think? He was in the 22 draft. In the 22 draft, so it would have been two drafts ago. And he was um, a third round pick, I believe. Yes, I think and you liked seventy eighth or something you, like that. You thought maybe he sh- could have even been higher. Yeah, he w- he was to still a number of scouts in more of the like forty range. And Moldenauer's story was his he was with the Chicago Steel, which obviously well established connections to Michigan on that front. But he was in the USHL, and then his pre draft season, he had a illness for a while where he lost a lot of weight and he was kind of out of shape and then when he got back on the ice he had the the skate slice incident oh yeah that's and right so then he had to miss some more time with like lots of stitches and things like that so it was really just a very poor season for him leading up to the draft and so he kind of fell down the board uh the maple leafs drafted him his hometown team and then he went back to the steel this past season and he was the second highest scoring player on the steel uh, behind only Macklin Celebrini of Boston U and one of the 
two or three people vying for first overall in the upcoming draft. So mm. finishing second to Celebrini is not really a thing to be crying about. Yeah. Um, and because it's the steal, obviously, Moldenauer being second on that team was also second in the entire USHL <laughs> scoring because that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. But his numbers, if you look at his stats, and he was younger for his draft class. I think he is a mayor of June birthday. So last season was his age 18 season. By the time the season was over, he was still 18, about to turn 19. Okay. And so if you compare that to Mackie Samuskevich's production at the same age 18 level, um, like he way outproduced Samuskevich. Now, obviously, mm. there are lots of factors going on. You don't know team quality, all that sort of stuff. But in general, when you score the second most points in the USHL and you score as many as he did at that age, that's a good sign. Yeah. And that portends a player that should come in and be an impact player right away, not a superstar, but a good college player right off the bat who should be able to score, you know, 10 or 15 goals for you at least, right? And so in that way, he seems like he could easily fit in the top six, yeah, if not the top line as well. It seems like Michigan, I mean, so we and, and he's also an interesting player, by the way, also undersized. I didn't mention him when I was talking about Michigan's. Yeah, he's forwards. like, what, 5'10", 170? 5'10", something yeah. like that. Um, but he was noted as a decently physical player um, in his like draft profiles and stuff, and he did play a decent bit in defensive situations, and he's kind of seen as sort of a, another Gavin Brindley type of guy in mm. terms of a well-rounded player that, that works hard all over the place and has a lot of different things that he does well. So he's probably at least a two-year player here. Yeah. If not potentially yeah, longer. Two, two to three-year two player. Two to three-year player. Yeah. All right, the fifth guy that we will discuss. And so now this guy could be on the second line. He could be on the third line. He was an interesting take last year, our probably most controversial take or uh, misfire maybe of the pre-podcast is that we had absolutely no idea where he was going to play, if he was even going to be dressed or scratched. But TJ Hughes came in and uh, played probably better than at least any anyone who was covering the team thought that he would. He played in 39 games, which is probably more than we would have guessed originally. 13 goals, 23 assists for 36 points and just under a point per game. He had a role in the power play. This is uh, TJ Hughes, correct? Yes. Yeah, you didn't say that. Yes, I did. Oh. I said TJ Hughes came in. I don't remember hearing that, but... Oh. Were you, were you on your phone? No, I was... No, you, it just sounded like you were describing a player and like wanting the audience to guess who it is. Sometimes you have to bury the lead. So TJ Hughes, sure, where we were yeah. originally talking about, um, he also played on the power play with about, I think he had five goals and kind of did a few things really, really well. And I thought, you know, we had discussed this last year, but Michigan did a good job of putting him in position to succeed playing in certain parts of the ice uh, around the net, not necessarily net front, but um, found his uh, niche sort of to the sides of the net as well, getting in some some rebound-type goals and getting good good passes. He knew where to be. Michigan did a good job with that. Um, but he is entering his second year as about a .92 points per game player. Like I said, some power play time, but never really had that, like, was was playing with like Fantilli, so his numbers are inflated. Now, you know, Michigan has good players, but he's also going to play with good players. You could see him fitting in probably not on the top line, maybe the third center, maybe the second line. It'll depend on how they want to utilize him, but is definitely um, 
a great mid-to-depth piece. Middle six, I think is what we'd call him. When I was going back through the season preview and I looked at my five stupid predictions from last year, I my stupid prediction was that TJ Hughes would carve out a role in the bottom six. Yeah. So I was correct, but in <laughs> sentiment, but I was too conservative. Yeah. For, you know, it was like, you know, getting a hot take that correct because it wasn't hot enough, basically. <laughs> um, but he really outperformed expectations. I'm looking to see him be a little more consistent because he was really good in the first half of last year mm-hmm. and wasn't nearly as good in the second half, wasn't as productive. So that's something I'm watching. He, he was at his best in the power play, so um, some more even strength production I think would be nice too. He doesn't have any like flashy skills, but was just a solid, uh, understated sort of player that was quietly quite productive for Michigan and really was one of the heroes because if you go back and read last year's season preview and the podcast to start last year, we didn't know much about TJ Hughes and we were under the impression that Frank Nazar was healthy. And then we were told he was not healthy. And if you had told me that back then, I would have been screaming. I mean, (laughs) we were really concerned about center depth to some degree and we're banking a lot on Frank Nazar. And Nazar basically was not effective the entire season and they were okay because TJ Hughes stepped up. So He was one of the unsung heroes of last year. He's a guy that, I mean, we'll get to Nazar later, but if I'm assuming Nazar's probably going to be 1C, and then if, for whatever reason, they decide to play Brindley also at center, and you have TJ Hughes as your third center, you are, like, extremely happy about your center depth there, I would think. I would be. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't think that's the path they'll go, but he's a very solid middle six Big Ten player. So wherever he finds out, he I don't remember him playing too much on the penalty kill I don't last year, but uh, power play, I expect to see him. I don't know if it'll be power play one. They have a lot of guys, and so our projections for who's going to be where are going to be kind of misfounded, I would think. Um, yeah. We will find out on next week's podcast after we, after we see a couple of games against a pretty good team. But uh, then the next guy is uh, the probably second best uh, and oh, uh, probably the old, the second for sure f- f- freshman who's going to dress is Garrett Shivsky. He is another mighty might. Yeah, he's um, another undersized. It's a very small forward group in general. Yeah, and he's a guy who could also play center. Um, he's probably be center. third line center. It looks like. I mean, he played third line center um, in the in the exhibition. Okay. And to Hughes playing second line center. That was generally how they had it sort of laid out. Yeah. So he is a guy who is an overager. Yeah, I think he's 20. But he also had a really nice goal in the exhibition. I didn't see all of the highlights, but he made a nice play coming around the net, firing out in front and then beating the goalie. Um, I think that everyone seems to kind of like him. There seems to be a little bit of upside for him. He was a productive player in the USHL, not a top-notch scorer, but... In the top 25 in league points and league goals the last couple of years, he played high school hockey in Minnesota through age 18, then did his two-year time in uh, Waterloo in the USHL. So what you want to see, I mean, Michigan doesn't take a ton of players like him as overager from the USHL. Those are kind of guys that go to like Ohio State and you know Penn State and places like that. But I don't mind digging those kinds of guys because that's how you build sort of the meat of a program and how you get stability yeah. is by those sorts of four-year players that were not drafted that are just, you know, really solid NCAA guys. And they create the sort of bones and then you fill in the, 
you put stars, the Fantillies and the Nazers yep. in their correct spots, right? And then some of these guys, by the time they get to be in their third, fourth year, are really good college players because they've yep. been there for a while. And I mean, that's that's the sort of thing Minnesota's done a really good job yeah, of. Minnesota I think, over fills the years. their team out with those guys. Yeah. So uh, the next guy is Tanner Rowe. This is one of the guys who is um, also a freshman and is in the running for spot number twelve. I would say one of the the there are probably we have guesses uh that 11 guys are going to play and then there are a few guys sort of fighting for uh that last spot and he is in contention for that um he wasn't a highly touted guy no he michigan flipped him from some very small school Mm -hmm. i have to look it up it was not a it was not a notable <laughs> university. They kind of they snuck in in November and they flipped him pretty easily. Um, and when they did, a lot of people were uh, pretty excited about all that. And then you know you look at it and you're kind of like, okay. I mean, I'm not sure why we're super excited about this, but it seems, <laughs> he's he's a guy. Yeah, he's more of a depth sort of player. Um, yeah. He interesting is a youper. Something to note. He went to Calumet High School. The personal section of his uh, page on the site is extremely youper. Um, <laughs> He's a snowshoer. <laughs> his dad uh, played hockey at Northern, and his sister went to Michigan Tech. So just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he played high school hockey at Calumet. Then he went into the NAHL. Then he played in the USHL. His NAHL production was okay. His USHL production was quite low in general. Just does a profile as a guy that's going to be doing a lot of scoring in college, you would think. An older guy, he just turned 21 in August, so he's got that. He's the same age as Keenan Draper in terms of birth year, but obviously Draper has a year on him in the program. Mm-hmm. I kind of think those two guys are battling for fourth-line center. I mean... Lapointe, I think, has played a little center. Estapa has played a little center, but they've more been wings at Michigan, whereas mm-hmm. these two guys profile more as centers. If there's one thing that could help Tanner Rowe, it's that he's a left-shot center, which is typically the norm because most players in hockey shoot left, but for Michigan, strangely, is unusual. Michigan, just all of their centers are right shot <laughs> this year, which I don't really get. Is that, um, is that random? Probably. Or is this is this a is Michigan trying to do something? I don't there? know. It's very strange. Like a lot of times in the NHL you'll hear like, Oh, we got, you know, Dylan Grambrell because he's a right shot centerman and we you know, that's like how some grinders stay in the league or at least uh. get a shot to stay in the league is by being a right shot center. Michigan has infinite of those. <laughs> and <laughs> they yet, have no left shot. And yet it's Tanner Rowe that's like, Hey, I could be a left shot center and <laughs> it, it depends on the coach, but there are definitely coaches who prefer based on which side of the ice a draw is on to have right. a left shot or a right shot. And so if you put him in fourth line he could take certain draws that you want him to. That's an argument he could have. Again, doesn't profile as an impact player right away, but Neither was Keenan Draper last year, and those are the two guys kind of you would think going at it for that spot. Okay, so yeah, he but he but there's you do not see him really playing much above the fourth line, at least no, this year. No. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jackson Hallam is next on the list. This is a guy that I'm kind of excited about for this season. He played uh, he was pretty much a straight up third liner last year. He's super fast, was drafted several years ago by the Knights, I think in yep. the third or fourth round. 
um, but came in and was just the fastest guy on the ice and kind of needs the rest of his skill set to catch up with him. You saw it pop at times. He had that goal against Ohio State where he just gets around everybody, cuts in front of the net, waits for the goalie to go down and lifts one up into the net. And you're like, this is kind of, this is your thing, man. If this is, you can develop those parts of your game, you can be a really dangerous player. He was a good penalty kill player because he was so fast, uh, Would had a, his share of breakaways. But if the if he can fill in other areas of his game, he looks like he could be maybe even a top six player. Maybe not on this team, but um, going forward, it seems like. Yeah, I think he'll be third line this year, but you'd like to see him add some more things to his game and be able to do a little bit more than just sort of being a breakaway guy. But the speed will always be the main part of his game. So we'll just see how it progresses. He's the kind of player that in theory... Brandon Narado should be really good at working with. Yeah. Being a skills guy, that's the kind of guy you want to put skills on because he has. Because he can absolutely fly. And, you know, when you think about it, if he in theory is matching up against other third liners, uh, I'll probably take that against most teams in college hockey. Yeah. I know that he played with Shifsky um, in that sort of third line penalty kill role in the exhibition. So that could be a tandem if they can find some chemistry, but we'll see. All right. Philippe Lapointe was a guy who has, he's been around now for a few years. I think he's a senior now. now. Oh my goodness. You remember when he, oh, he was a freshman on the team uh, during the COVID year, right? Yes. Yeah. And he was, I think Kent Johnson's buddy. Yes, and they, they played, played together. Uh, they and played he came trail in. on the BC And he's show. a guy who I picked to sort of be a breakout player last year. He played in um, probably half the games, maybe a little bit more. It just didn't happen uh, for him. Yeah, and he just – he was the only guy other than the uh, Brendan Miles, who was a walk-on defenseman, to finish negative and plus-minus, where everyone else on the team somehow <laughs> was able to be oh, at least above zero – um, there's been times that he's really flashed. He played in 24 games. Or there's been times that he flashed, um, but it was never really consistent. I know he took a few kind of bad penalties. I think one he got ejected for. And, you know, when you're kind of in a fight for fourth line, like those are like the last things that you can do. Astapa took penalties. He cracked down on him a little bit last year. Um, and he kind of brings a different sort of element than than LaPointe does, but, you know, there's basically five guys, at least by our count, that are fighting for that fourth line, and it looks like one spot will go to Estapa. We think probably the other one goes to LaPointe. But if you're going to do some of those negative things, it may not be as guaranteed as we think. His career has kind of been some flashes and then long periods of he had that nice run when all the players were at the Olympics yes, a couple years ago. Yes. I mean, last season he played 25 games and he scored points in three of the 25 games. <laughs> he had two two-point games and then one one-point game. And that's just kind of the way it goes. That he every so often has a game that he really plays well in and you're sort of like, huh. And then he just... And he disappears. He's just invisible for a while and he gets scratched. And so, look, they gave him an A. Did the, they really? They did. So I mean, they're probably not going to scratch him then. Not that much, you would think. So he's one of only three seniors on the team that started here and made it all the way through. So Are you a little surprised? 
I'm a little surprised he didn't transfer out at some point, but maybe he wants to be here. Slate wants to be here. I don't yeah. know. So this is this is it. But as I've said before, there are guys that surprise you as seniors and kind of emerge that final year in different sports that I've followed over the years. So you never know. And maybe it could happen for him this year. But in the fourth line role, he's probably not going to be producing a ton of offense. But if he could just be a regular player and yeah. be useful, then that wouldn't be too bad. And that's not what they're looking for from him. I mean, he's a guy that you're going to want to be defensively sound. I mean, Michigan's had like the Van Wyes and the Moyles in the last few years who were not going to ever be leading the team in points. But they were defensively sound and like were tough to play against and were drove the net and things like that. And if you can get some of that out of LaPointe, he'll probably stay in the lineup, I would guess. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to have to talk about this because in prep, you were telling me an interesting story about the numbers of one Chase Pletsky, who is a transfer, I believe, from Miami of Ohio. Yep. He is a grad transfer. So I think he has one year of eligibility. He does. He played four years of college hockey. Can you explain to me his point? totals over the last few years. So let me pull up his Elite Prospects page. I've looked at a lot of hockey stat pages over the years. In Elite Prospects, Hockey DB, Hockey Reference, NHL players, college players, I've probably looked at over a thousand different player pages. And I've never seen anything like this page. <laughs> <laughs> completely confounding. So he played, uh, before he got to college, he played in the Lone Star of the NAHL, and then Langley in the BCHL. Okay. Then he came into Miami of Ohio, 2019-2020. That was the year that got ended short by uh, COVID. Oh, yeah, that's right. Played 28 games. But so he got a full – I mean, you know, it got yeah. ended short, but it was basically a full, full season. 28 games, six goals, eight assists, 14 points. Which is – As a freshman, that's like, okay, you know. I mean, there's an argument on this team. If he gave us that, you'd take it. Sure. You, you know, you look at that. If you're a Miami of Ohio fan – yeah, this is promising. <laughs> Don't know how many of them there are, but... <laughs> there used to be. Those then, that exist are looking at that, and they're like, okay, this is a guy that can grow into a good player down the road. Yeah. And then the next year, he plays 21 games. Now, that was a shortened COVID season. Yeah. So that's probably close, so to, it's a how, full season. close to how many games they, yeah. they played. But he only scores two goals, one assist for three points. So that's sort of like, okay, he's playing, but... Maybe his minutes drop Looks off. like they played 25 games. So he's playing just about every game. Yeah. But he's not producing very much. Maybe he's, I don't know the, the time on ice, but probably not playing that many shifts. But for some reason, as a sophomore, he's playing less and producing less than he did as a freshman. That's interesting. Then as a junior in 21-22, this is a back to a regular season. He plays 31 games. So again, that's close to a full season because they probably only played 33 or 34 because they're not a good team. Yeah. He scores seven goals, zero assists for seven points. After score, so he gets his highest goal total of his career. Yeah, with zero in assists. his third year with zero assists. Which is look, there are definitely funny instances of players with way more goals and assists. Sure, I think Kirill Marchenko last year for the Blue Jackets had like twenty-one, five, twenty-six, something like but that. I mean, I mean, that was very funny. There was that year that um. Peter Bondra won the Rocket Richard in the lockout season with like 30 goals and 10 assists for 40 points. Like you do see that every so often, but, but it, it's hard to if you're going to be It's hard to play 31 games and have zero assists as a you're, forward. You're just like, going to you're just going to touch the puck sometimes. Well, the reason it's really hard to get that many goals to that many assists is 
you get a lot of assists by doing the things that you do to score goals. Yeah. By shooting, it goes in yeah. off of a player. Yeah. They redirect it. Like, it's just hard to play offense and not pick up assists. It's unlucky. Sort of, To some yeah, degree. Yeah. Especially if you're scoring seven goals. So it means you're. it's not like you're not shooting. Yeah. Okay. I, so that's that's his... It's crazy enough already, but it gets even... So then last year, he plays in 20 games, and he... Which is... Which is probably closer to half a season. Season. He scores zero goals, zero assists for zero <laughs> points, and four penalty minutes. So when I saw that... <laughs> what? How? So I saw that line, and I immediately thought, well, he had to have been their 19th skater, because you can't play 19, 20 games as a forward and have yeah, zero points. I mean, that like, makes sense. He had to have been playing like three shifts a game. Yeah. And then I got some data sent to me that had the time on ice for him that season, and he played 14 and a half minutes per game. <laughs> And had no points. Was he? I mean, was, was his plus minus like minus fifty? It's. I mean, let's do the math. Twenty times fourteen and a half. That's two hundred ninety minutes he played. Okay. And he scored zero points in two hundred ninety minutes. <laughs> That's really after, hard. After scoring fourteen points as a freshman, seven goals as a junior, he gets doesn't even get on the board. And look, like Miami was a bad team. Yeah, no doubt about that. Okay, they weren't a very high scoring team. But that's still <laughs> And and like you said, he has four penalty minutes, so it's not like he's going around just blowing people up. Is he doing anything? He's just doing cardio. I mean he's just <laughs> just doing laps. <laughs> You're just... I mean at that point, are, what impact are you making on the game? Uh... They had twenty seven players on the roster last year, and only four of them scored zero points. Two of them scored zero points because they did not appear in any games. And the other two scored zero points. One was a defenseman, and then one was Plutsky. Even as a defenseman, it's weird, but at least it's more understandable. It's really hard to be a forward and not score any points in 20 games playing 14 and a half minutes. So, why is he here? So, my theory was that he's from Bay City. Okay. And that he probably came to Michigan to get a grad degree for professional reasons. Okay. And then they were like, hey... You also didn't turn in your hockey skates yet. We're a little understaffed at forward. Understaffed. We, you know, we we've got a spot. You know, we're not going to give any scholarship money, but if you want to be on the team, this is your theory. This is my theory. We don't. This has not been proven. Yeah, this is my theory that you can be on the team because sometimes guys get hurt and we need a body, and you've played close to a hundred career college hockey games, and that's not nothing. Well, last year. There were definitely games where they needed yeah. some bodies. If our entire team is sick and the Big Ten <laughs> shows up at our house and demands we play. <laughs> Minnesota's like, Kevin, we're not Kevin going Warren home. banging on the <laughs> You have to play. Get out there. <laughs> so that's my theory. I mean, they look, he they there maybe is something they saw in his underlying stats that... I did hear that his underlying numbers were not bad. I got Peter to send me some stats on him. There wasn't a lot he had access to and nothing that he saw indicated a player. Okay. So I don't know, but that's very Shruggy strange. emoji? Very strange. Yeah. Uh, well, he is. he's in the running for the fourth line and probably really for that final spot on one of the Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if it'd be a wing player or center, probably a wing player, but if he plays, but um He's he has a chance, and at some point, I mean, you know, if we start to look at, you know, we'll get to this in a second about Michigan's defense, but you know, there you start, you get to dress an extra skater, and you a body or two drops, and all of a sudden you're like, well, 
you're in. <laughs> Doesn't really matter because well, they're only carrying 14 forwards. Man, that is so... not many. So he's he's probably going to play. He'll probably because play some games. there's almost no way that they're just... The one thing I feel confident predicting based on his career, if he gets any points, they'll probably be goals. Well, I, I've never turned down a goal in a hockey game for Michigan before. So uh, any of those that you add in, there's pluses on my account. All right. Next up is Dylan Duke. Uh, Duke is a fun player. He has been here. This will be his, well, I believe, junior year. He came junior in with year. Samo. Um, he's been... Relatively productive in both years. Last year, 18 goals, 14 assists for 32 points in 41 games. Not too bad. He is a great uh, net front player, had six power play goals. Um, You know, he's a fourth round pick at Tampa, so he's probably not a surefire NHL guy. He'll maybe get a chance. Um, I would think that he probably comes back senior year. I, if he does, he's then he's probably the captain. I would. If he think, does, he's probably next the captain. Year. Yep. Yeah, um, especially considering a guy we'll talk about later. His brother is now in the program, but um, I've always liked Duke. I think he has. He, he's like you said. They don't have a lot of big bodies. They don't have a lot of tough grinder bodies. He has been one of those guys. It's why he's can will always be in Michigan's top six. Is because he's always around the net. He wins battles on the boards. He's undersized but it's hard to outwork him, and he's productive. He's not like the Fantilli, you know, everything turns to gold type of a player, but he is a great complementary piece to a center that is really, really good. So you could see him maybe playing with Nazer. You could see him even playing with TJ Hughes in a really sort of bigger around-the-net line. He's a good garbage man, and... Last year, he had a little bit more skill than just that, so that was nice to see. And he had the he had the game-winning goal in, in the, the Big, Big Ten, Ten championship yep. game, where yep. he ended up sitting on Justin Close, if I remember correctly. Yep, and he made yeah. a nice little move in tight there, so that was yeah. good to see. His production, if I remember correctly, was much stronger in the first half, and then they switched the lines a little well, bit, and it, he, it trailed he off. Was, he was the anti-Brindley, right? Like, yes. Brindley moves up, and yes. Duke... Or, yep. So that'll be interesting to see. I'm curious where they play him, but he's a really just a solid player and he scored 18 goals last year. He's a good bet to score at least 15 this season and you need those kinds of players. Yep. Definitely. Definitely top six guy. Uh, Keenan Draper, we've referenced earlier. He is in his second year. Sophomore. Yep. As the program, obviously a legacy guy. Um, Not really. Well, at least for Southeast Michigan and (laughs) Detroit sports fans. Um, He played in uh, some games. 23. 23 is higher than I would have originally guessed. He scored a goal. One goal. For a point. Do you remember who it was against? I think it was Lake State. It was. Yes. Um, Which was very early. And Lake State was very bad. (laughs) (laughs) But just by being a guy who has some college experience and has played games at Michigan, he's probably you think maybe the front runner to fill that fourth line probably i mean he has that advantage of experience over row or uh the curious case of chase Plesky. <laughs> um yes i don't know i when i was writing him up in the preview i was like i have nothing to say he played 23 games i don't remember a single thing he did in any game other than his goal yeah that he scored a goal and i you know i had to find that clip he and like put took it, it to the net yeah, he, he got along a pass, the goal line. Yeah, yeah, out front. But I'm like, he he was the classic, just like nothing happens when I'm out there type of player. So 
Um, well, if he keeps pucks out of his own net, then that's a win for the fourth line. I mean, that's just kind of what you're looking for. You'd like to see him do something at some point. He took 15 shots in 23 games. That's not very many. That is not many. 24 penalty minutes in 23 games. Well, he was in for that MSU game, right? Didn't he get... (laughs) Well... Like, some of the the penalty totals were skewed by a couple of those incidents. All right. Uh, I guess this is the definition of bearing the lead, but um, Frank Nazar is the, the... Second to last guy in the forward list. Um, so Nazer is the X factor and kind of key to this team, right? Because he is a first rounder picked right before McGrory, I think, in the 22 draft and by the Blackhawks. To be clear here, they were two different caliber prospects. Okay. Like not, you know, they but, were picked back to back, but if you were a scout, these are two different. But he was picked in the, I'm saying he's a, he's a mid first round pick. Yeah, Do you I'm, think he's higher than that? I thought he was, personally. Okay, I thought well. Rucker was picked higher than he should have been, and I thought Nazer was picked much lower than so he should have been. So, Nazer was a guy we were really excited about seeing, and then he had some mysterious injury that we still are not 100% clear on. It was a back on. thing, right? I don't know. Let me look. I, I mean, maybe. That was my memory. I, I mean, I know I was told by somebody at some point in the early part of the second half that it was he hip. was doing stairs at that point. So it made me think it was at least a lower body it was injury. A hip surgery. That's, huh. All right. Well, so Nazer had the, has, still has the capability of being, I think, a, a college star. And he's probably not going to be Fantilli, but he's a guy that if he blows up, um, he could score a lot of points in yep. college hockey. He is probably going to be Michigan's 1C. He's probably, hopefully, going to be Michigan's best player on the ice and most likely going to be the guy that other teams are going to design their defenses around. Now, like we said, he was injured. He had two goals and five assists for seven points in 13 games last year. Not great, um, but... This feels more like his freshman year than last year. It, yeah, it's more that than than definitely anything was last year. I mean, I think that people just kind of have forgotten about him a little bit, and that you know they saw him, but they didn't really see him, and they just he's. I don't think he's getting as much hype as he should because he was an awesome player for the USNTDP. Yeah, and a, and his the reason he was picked thirteenth was all his size. That was the predominant reason. and So if he's two or three inches taller, he's... Yeah, he would have been an easy top five pick. And the size concern that colors the NHL draft is much less important in college hockey. It's, you know, size isn't as big of a deal in yeah. college hockey. So if you take that out of the equation, then it's only, you know, only up from there. And yeah. I was really, really high on him going into last year, and I still am. And I believe that if he is healthy, he will be a dynamite player. Didn't and he have a really good summer tournament? He showed up at the World Junior Summer Showcase. He was the leading scorer of the tournament with five goals and eight points. He had a four-goal game against Sweden. Um, this is Peter writing, His ability to transition from defense to offense was unparalleled by anyone from any team and resulted in numerous scoring chances in every game. His defensive play was phenomenal as he was always the first man over the boards on the penalty kill situation was a consistent threat looking for opportunities to create offense while shorthanded. Well, if he's I mean, playing he's a, on the, is he going to play on the penalty kill? He could. He did last year. Um, he was, he's an electric, electric skater when he's healthy, which is the easiest way to tell he wasn't healthy last year. Yeah. He wasn't, a, you know, he didn't stand out really as a skater last year. Uh, but when he's healthy, he's got really nice hands. He's really fast. He can shoot the puck really well between, like, in the slot. There's just so much that I love about his game. And 
You know, they just need him to be fully healthy and, and be what he can be. And if he can, tell me a player in the Big Ten that's more talented than him. There isn't one. I mean... You like him over Snuggerud? Yeah. Not even close. Not um, even close? No. So, so, okay. So, is is he like Bedard's 2C with the Blackhawks for the next 10 years? He could be. I mean, if he hit his projection. Yeah. So, he's that good. It depends on how he transitions to the NHL and all that sort of stuff. But I love Frank. I mean, when he was on the board in that draft, I really wanted the Red Wings to take him. I just, I'm a big fan of his game. Well, he, it, so there is a lot to be excited about, it seems yep. like, this year. Um, and I mean, let's be clear here. The Blackhawks, I believe they picked Oliver Moore, who we'll they get did. to with Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's a lot of centers. That Bedard, are... Nazer and, and Moore, that's the like we're trying to be New Jersey number two, you know, and just get you out of the yard type of team well, that's, building strategy. That's the NHL these days in a lot of ways, isn't it? It can be. It's different ways to build teams, but that's one way. And the last forward on our board is Mark Estapa. He uh had a, a nice freshman year. And then came in as a fan favorite in last year because um, the children of Yost wanted him to keep coming out of the penalty box. And he's a, he's the, a f- the problem was to me that he was in the penalty box. <laughs> but he he's a different kind of player. He kind of fits that what uh, Ernesty mold and the Duke mold of being a bigger, tougher guy. Um, the problem is is that. It's not really translated to any sort of points, really. He played 40 games last year, had five goals and seven assists. I mean, unlike um, LaPointe, he's been an everyday player, at least, for yes. close to two years now. He's had some moments up in the lineup. Every so often, he flashes a little skill. But the biggest thing with him is he's a feisty guy, sure. But when it comes to the free Estafa chance, like, look, if he wants to get in a in a scrap with someone and go off on a, you know, or they both get five minute penalties and it cancels out, you know, sure. Or or, or they get matching roughings. The or big something. problem was twenty two minor penalties, which yeah. was you know, five more than the next closest. So that's sort of my you can't, issue. You can't do that. I mean if you're chipping in like if you wanna points, if you wanna be involved in that end of game scrum where you you know get, where rung, you get rung up points. for fifteen <laughs> yeah. penalty minutes in a yeah. one incident with ten seconds to go in the game, whatever, I don't care. But it's minor penalties that yeah. you can't need to cut down on. So that's something for him, but he'll probably be in the lineup because he has been, and maybe this is, as he's a junior, he'll start to show a little more pulse offensively. I don't know. Well, or at least maybe not be in the box quite as much. And and yeah, I mean, the more offense that you get out of him, the better. I think we're starting to get to the point of where we're not expecting. I mean, if you get it, I mean, if, if he gave us like a 20 point season, I would probably take it right now. Yeah. But that being said, I, I don't, see them scratching him. I mean, given there's 14 forwards, there's probably only one or two guys that are going to get scratched. And I think we've yeah. made it clear who we think those people are going to be in. Mark Stop is not one of them. All right. We will uh, quickly transition to defense here. Um, staying with the same nature of going... Let's, well, let's, before we get into defense, we have to handle the situation. We'll make a quick statement. But uh, uh, as has been circulated in uh, the news, Johnny Juskinis, no longer on the roster. Ah, yes. Um, that is, came out, I believe, on Friday, reported in the Michigan Daily. Uh, we are not going to delve into the uh, rumor that has gained traction about what the violation of team rules was, but it but goes it was without a- saying, if that is what it is, very bad. It's... And- <laughs> it's just, it was a vi- I mean, their official statement is a violation, violation of team, team rules. rules right? So that's what we're allowed to say, but again... 
if it is what has been talked about a lot, you know, they made the correct decision, it's, and we'll leave it at that. It's a bummer because, I mean, you and I both in all summer thought he's probably going to be... We thought he had a shot to play, play, play six defensemen. Unfortunately, you know... He will not be now. He will not be. Tyler Duke is Dylan Duke's brother. It is also rumored about him that he wanted to come to Michigan but didn't get an offer and then when everyone left was ready to transfer from Ohio State last uh in this past off season um he had a nice season i think he had like 8 goals and 4 of them came against michigan which was no um, he didn't have 8 goals he had like 4 goals he had 4 goals and were, 2 came yeah, against michigan yeah, I okay that's i had what it was. The, yeah i was inflating his stats um but Peter wrote up a, a really great hello post on him, and it talked a lot about how he was great in the corners, and his his board battles one was like higher than uh, like all the other his all all of his other comparables on Michigan's defense at the time. And so he's also undersized, but doesn't really play that way. Yeah, the interesting thing with him is I was listening to a preview podcast that. Uh, various Michigan Daily and WCBN Sports affiliated people were uh, on. And one of them was mentioning Tyler Duke as like, oh, he could be the seventh defenseman. And Seventh defenseman? I don't know if that was based on anything, but I heard that and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I mean, he's clearly now going to be a top four defenseman. In Peter's hello post, he was uh, in the top four in ice time on Ohio State last year. And let's just be frank here. Ohio State was a vastly better defensive team. They were really good. Like, way better. Yeah. If you're playing top four at Ohio State, you can play on my team any day. Yeah. So that's just, I'm not even, I don't even watch your tape. Yeah. If Steve Rollick put you out there on that team last year in top four minutes, you're in my lineup. Yeah. So that's my statement on Tyler Duke. But yeah, he graded out well in, um, you know, creating turnovers and loose puck recovery, stuff like that. It feels like with him and Marshall Warren, again, that Narado was, you know, scarred from the experience of <laughs> playing Ohio State uh, last year. And I feel like both of these pickups were directly related to allowing them to bust cycles better and transition it out of the zone easier and not being hemmed in as well. Well, and, you know, when those players were acquired, they had a they have a couple of players I had had have on the team that can get the puck out of the zone. So yep. it was not like Michigan is short on puck, puck rushers by... Well, it's more both Duke and Warren both graded out really well at passing it out of the zone mm. and even chipping it out. And that was sort of the thing Michigan had, is they had too many guys trying to skate it out. Well, they had one guy in particular that... Yeah, uh, which that was... It, it has its place, but you need uh, some guys that were confidence on the puck to make that quick first pass and, and alleviate the pressure. Yeah. And that's what he was... That's what uh, one thing that he was good at, and he, among he, other things. He was not drafted. He was not. He was a guy that fell from like the fourth round to not drafted. So he is most likely, he was a freshman last year, he's most likely got three years in him at Michigan. Yeah, but I think eventually he could play fewer than that and ended up like going to a team, like if he plays well. Just um, signing? I mean, if you remember Cole McWard? Uh, a little bit. Michigan yeah. D came out who played a couple years at Ohio State. Okay, this last season, it looks like he's going to break camp with the Canucks. <laughs> so does that say something about the Canucks, or does that say something about McWard? I think both. Okay, you know, the Canucks obviously don't have a great defensive depth chart, but like, man, that's impressive. And so 
Dylan Duke was on that same team with Cole McWard. Yeah. So certainly possible he could go from UDFA to being on, an, you know, in an NHL, AHL team in only a few years. So Well, you know, we'll see with, you know, like the Drew Skinner's thing and then, you know, we'll get to the Edwards injury in a little bit. But, you know, it seemed like Michigan's defense was going to be vastly improved and Dylan or Tyler Duke was going to be one of the reasons. And by defense, I don't mean like scoring overall. I mean, like their in-zone defense was going to be better because of the guys that they were icing who are all going to be much better in the zone. And that's going to include with the next guy we're going to talk about. But um, now, you know, just with those other situations, you, you have to kind of see how it plays out. But when they were putting him together and he was entering, you started over the summer, you started looking at this and being like, Michigan should be a lot better overall on defense, at least from a goal prevention standpoint. And that is one thing I think that Dylan or <laughs> Tyler Duke is going to bring. To he, he should help. Yeah. Jacob Truscott, who is the captain of this team, not very surprisingly has been, this is now his fourth year, man. He came in with, um, Thomas Bortolo from the USNTDP. Yeah, the remainders from that class are Truscott, Holtz, and uh, LaPointe. <laughs> well, I mean, most of that class was like, uh, these are NHL guys, and, and they will be gone fast. And Josh Grohl. Josh Grohl, <laughs> who almost scored against Michigan with Mi- yep. Minnesota State when they played. And he didn't follow Hastings to Wisconsin, interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Um, but Jacob Truscott is, was Luke Hughes's partner for last year starts to really come into his own offensively gets a game winner two goals against Minnesota one was a game winner and then we do not see him the rest of the year because he's out with an injury and that definitely showed up later on in the season um, as Michigan's in-zone defense and just defense overall uh, crumbled a bit but having him back for another year is is great you can pair him with Casey you could put him with you could basically put him with anyone because I think he's going to be very defensively sound and I think that if his offense picks up where he left off at the end of last year I mean there's no reason he couldn't be a top pairing defenseman and a guy who will chip in on the power play he's played some power play plays penalty kill um I, I would don't assume he would be on only the penalty kill this season. You don't think he's a, he'll be a power play guy? No, I think that Casey will be on with the first, and if they put two on the second, it'll be uh, maybe Edwards, maybe Warren, maybe Tyler Duke ahead of Truscott. Okay, but he is a guy who is going to be one of the most important players, I think, for Michigan because he is going to be probably their biggest defensive stalwart. Yeah, he'll be on the in the top four, you have to think. He's the captain of the team, and he's also... Um, a left shot defenseman who plays the right as he has the last couple of years with uh, Luke Hughes. So that's always nice to have a guy that can move around and give you a lot of flexibility. So he's an important player to this team. Fourth year player, a lot of experience. Steven Holtz is a guy who, who again, you know, this is pre Duskinis, pre Edwards injury or the knowledge of the injury anyway, um, was a guy who's probably in the running for the sixth defenseman spot. Now, he could be probably not on the top pair, but he could definitely be on the second pair if you if you split guys up a certain way. Um, well, I think between Triscott, uh, Casey, Duke, and Warren, I think that's your top four. So and you then, think you think that they're going to put Luca and Holtz together on three? Sure, you can just shelter them and play them eleven minutes a game. And if I mean, okay, I, we'll see how Michigan does that. I don't know that they've 
generally handled their pairs that way. If you can play them 15 minutes, it doesn't. I mean, you know, one of my biggest fundamental beliefs is that your fourth line, your third pair never kill you. And that, you know. You mean they need to never kill you? Or that they general, don't? They, like, it's just, it's not that important. Like, okay. especially in the NHL where you can find third pair defensemen, you know, at Walmart, like at all at all times, <laughs> on sale. <laughs> like it's it's there's a big difference between, for me between top four and third pair. Like that is that is probably okay. the biggest di- division in all of sports. And so, so for you, you're you putting can park him on at the- someone on a third pair, and they can be fine. It's your third pair. He played, I think, um, with Karenin last year, and they were a bit of a mixed bag at times. Um, Holtz is a big body. He doesn't skate particularly well. Um, I it always seemed to me that he never played to his size as well. But um, uh, I mean, he has another year to change my mind. I guess. I mean, last year was a very year, weird year for him. We only saw him, you know, a few weeks to start the season, and then all of a sudden he was out for a long period that of time. That is true. And you don't know, even though he was playing, was he 100% healthy? I don't know. So, he, And keep in mind, his first two seasons at Michigan, he played 11 total games. Yeah. He didn't play at all the first year. And the second year, he played a little bit, and then he got hurt. So yep. I, I don't know how much we've ever seen him fully healthy in a Michigan uniform. That's fair. I don't know. So We just haven't really seen him a whole lot. No, he's played 36 games over three seasons. He did have a shot from the point to win in overtime against Wisconsin, Wisconsin, I believe. Yeah, that was a great how-can-you-not-be-romantic-about-hockey moment. (laughs) Anything else with Holtz? Not really. I mean, he's fine. You you know, you want him on your third pair, and if he's there, okay. So when I was bringing up Frank Nazar about being Michigan's best player, I think one of the other guys in this conversation is Seamus Casey, who was a freshman last year and was... uh, really good, especially offensively. He's always going to have his limitations defensively because he's small, but he had eight goals and 21 assists for 29 points in 37 games. And he had probably the highlight of his year was his goal, the tying goal against Quinnipiac in the national semifinal where he takes the puck near the blue line, beats a couple of guys, gets in around the net, uses his fantastic hands, and scores a goal. And you're kind of like, wow, all right, um, more of that, please. If you're, go- if, if, I mean, this is kind of the, the Casey we're going to see offensively, uh, he's, it's hard to not put him on the top pair. He's got exceptional hands for a defenseman, pretty good skater. He's really good on his edges. Um, he's great at walking the blue line and creating those angles and all that sort of stuff that's really useful for being at the point on a power play, making sure you get shots through. To that end, Casey is an extremely shooty defenseman. He took 102 shots on goal last season in 37 games, so that comes out to like two and a half (laughs) per game. It wasn't as much as Luke Hughes, but those two were miles ahead of any other defenseman on the team. Yeah. So, and his exits with possession and things like that were very, very high. He's going to be a huge piece for Michigan in transition, especially because you're going to have a massive, massive void there from Luke Hughes. And you're going to need somebody to step up and push play up the ice. It'll be multiple defensemen, but Casey stepping up and playing more minutes will be a part of that for sure. The only question for him is how much can he survive against top lines on defense so in that, his own end? That comes the question of how you configure the pairs. And Casey and Duke played together uh, for many years in the USNTDP and coming up. And 
that's a thought that a lot of people have had about reuniting and them. That's two sm- really small guys, though. Sure, but I think the question would come down to whether Jacob Triscott and Marshall Warren can play together. Hmm. And if they can, if they have enough offensive juice between them that you can play them together, that really opens up your possibilities because then you can give them a lot of defensive zone starts, the so-called shutdown pair, my least favorite. Which is your favorite thing in hockey. My least favorite term in hockey, but you can play them in more defensive zone starts, which then could open up the ability to give uh, Casey and Duke a lot more offensive zone starts and Mm -hmm. really just let them feast. And in those... It requires Nerado being more of a line-matching sort of coach and doing that sort of thing, but I think it could definitely... It can work. I mean, Duke's... They're both smaller, but Duke's skill set, I think, helps complements Casey to some degree, and it could be a really dynamite pair. Well, it remains to be seen if It's that- also the Big Ten, right? Like, the Big Ten isn't the biggest conference out there, and... You mean, like, with the largest humans? Yeah, okay. size-wise. it's The Big Ten doesn't have a ton of, like, 26-year-olds who play for Alaska, right? Like, Just like Michigan State's going younger. Minnesota's much younger. Michigan is a young team. Even Notre Dame's brought in a lot of young guys this year. There's just not... The Big Ten is moving towards being an all-talent. Not as much thick boy. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't want that pair if you were in the CCHA. I mean, you would. <laughs> you would, because, because you, you they just house everybody. <laughs> Thomas, you know, but... <laughs> um. The other guy who's a little bit in the Casey mold, um, who we will see a lot of now, given the previously stated um, unplayables, uh, Luca Fantilli, the older, smaller brother of Adam Fantilli, is uh, a puck rusher, good skater, had his moments in his own zone, was um, dressed for a lot of the end of last year, but didn't play. He played 36 of 41 games. Well, he was... That means he was dressed for them, right? I, mean, I don't think it. I don't think he played a lot in no. The I, he took he played a lot of games as a nineteenth skater, playing like one shift a game. Yeah, sort of thing. Um, but he was the insurance policy on defense. He didn't shoot the puck that much. Even if we say he played full games of twenty to twenty five games, he still only took sixteen sixteen shots. shots. Not very many. No, he was a good passer, really good at, at sort of his stretch passes and getting it out of the zone. It's an interesting and useful skill set. I don't hate him on a third pair. I think he could be good, pretty useful in that capacity. But I mean, I think at worst comes to worst, when Edwards is back, he can be your seventh defenseman. So I I think that you know before any of the negatives happened in the last, or we were made aware of them in the last few weeks, you and I talked about Luca, Holtz, and Drew Skinny is all fighting for that last spot. And I think that, you know, we thought Holtz probably had the upper hand because he'd played there. Yeah. We sort of wanted to see more of Drew Skinny's, and then Luca was sort of like the more offensive of the three that we thought had the highest upside in that regard. Um, and so obviously the question with Luca was when we were configuring those lines was the possibility he'd be playing with Edwards and, and we didn't like that. It could work. It could not. I don't know. It's, yeah. But it's similar sorts of players, those sorts of things. But with the recent developments, he will be pretty much guaranteed to be in the lineup and, um, we will see. Uh, does he fit with Holtz stylistically? Sure. Because Holtz can be, well, Holtz can stay back. And Luca can be a bit more of a puck rusher. I mean, mean, he's only so much of a puck rusher. He's more of just like a passer, right? Like he's a puck passer. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) he's good at moving 
like moving you forward and and getting it from your blue line to their blue line real quick. Okay. Passes from the back end. Well, we will see how how that works out in in his second year. Um, and then the last guy that is definitely going to be in the lineup is Marshall Warren. He is a transfer from BC who was their captain, played on the power play, played obviously a lot at even strength. I assume he killed penalties as well. Um, it's he's has what he's a grad transfer, so he has one one year left. year left. I mean, he's a great get for a team, especially that needs older, experienced, good in-zone defensemen. We needed another guy at Michigan Athletics with two first names. <laughs> we lost Gla- <laughs> your favorite, Greg Glenn. Oh, yes. Oh, Greg. How many N's in Greg Glenn? Uh, there were two Four, N. I think. <laughs> Four? Four N's? Yeah, we lost Greg Glenn, Glenn, and now we have Marshall Warren or Warren Marshall. Um, we'll just flip them from game <laughs> yeah. to game. One di- one game on a weekend. He'll He's be also one. wearing 77, which is an interesting number. Um, Pierre Turgeon, well, among others. Well, Luke is what, 73? He's 63. Ethan Edwards 63. is 73. Oh, that's right. How um, did you go to Pierre Turgeon and not Ray Bork? Well, Ray Bork was also seven. Oh. You, you remember that famous moment? No. He was seven when he started with the Bruins. Okay. And then they did Phil Esposito Jersey retirement. And so then when that happened, the ceremony was Esposito was out at center ice and Ray Bork skated over and he took off the seven and handed it to him. And now he wears 77. And Ray Bork gave him another seven just to <laughs> stitch on the back. But no, it, it's like one of the most famous because it was like yeah, everyone Esposito. was crying in the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, wasn't Keith Kachuk 77 too for a bit? Uh, I, I don't, don't remember to, that. I'd have to look that up. Yeah. But anyway, um, Marshall Warren's really old. He <laughs> he's, he's he's not on an AARP member yet, though. No, but he was on the famous USNTDP team. With oh yes, Jack Hughes, yes. Trevor Zegras, Matt Boldy, Alex Turcotte, uh, Cole Caulfield, and Cam York and Johnny Beecher. Wow, that is a stack. That's team. it wasn't crazy, but that's he's that age. So, you know, remember how long ago Cam York was That was the was fall it? of 18, I think. Into 19, yep. Yeah. So, been a, been a long time. But he's a good get, right? I mean, that's this is a guy that when you get a transfer, he's he's kind of the guy that you want. And, you know, in a team that has what, you say, we said three seniors? Like, getting an older guy like that yep. who's been experienced, who has been and a he's captain. he's played a lot of minutes in college yeah. hockey. He was Boston College's second highest time on ice guy last year because they were a bad team. He had to play power play, penalty kill. I mean, he had to do everything for them and still graded out pretty well. And again, he's good at some of the things Michigan needs and well, winning loose pucks and all that sort of stuff. He'll bring a seriousness to the locker room, all that sort of stuff. So I really like this, this pickup. Uh, another guy that's in contention for the sixth spot, except that we, you and I are not guessing that he will get it a whole lot, is Josh Orico I mean, or Josh can, Orico. We can do him with Brendan Miles. I mean, they are similar molds of players in terms of... Is Orico on scholarship? I have no idea. I'm, you don't have this memorized? We don't have... That's not public information. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't? I don't think it is. I thought I heard that it was. I, I've never seen a scholarship chart for hockey, so okay. I don't know. I mean, Orico comes in to continue our strategic reserve of Italians from the greater Toronto area. <laughs> uh, okay. Very few people listening to this will, will get those references. But um, 
he's a you know very small defenseman, five foot nine. He played in the NAHL last year. He played in the BC before that. Not a ton of production there. He played at St. Andrews College in Toronto, which is a private high school. Um, I don't know. Doesn't doesn't seem like a, a player uh, right away. Maybe down the line. Uh, do I mean, you, five foot nine NAHL defenseman is not really the the instant impact profile. I mean, I mean, it's a very similar profile to what Brandon Miles had last year, and Brandon Miles played like five games. So. Right, but they actually had some functioning defensemen. Now they're at basically six, and then you have Miles and sure. Arico. And I mean, do you think one of them will dress as the nineteenth? I mean, I don't. You the other options again are Tanner Rowe and your boy Chase Plutsky. So I mean, one of these guys is going to have a uniform on. I think games. Miles is more likely just because he played games last year. <laughs> he has more games played. Five. On, <laughs> yeah, on Arico. I okay. mean. It would take Rico three ga- three weeks to pass Brendan Miles in games played. Technically, I I have no idea between those two guys. But you're expecting not. A those are those are two guys that I would not expect to be in the lineup if you didn't have to. And then lastly is a guy that we were expecting to take probably another jump and be someone that Michigan counted on in a number of ways. Um, we've seen some good. We've seen some bad. We've I think met his relative in Boston, but. Um, Ethan Edwards is a curious case. He has been really flashy and has contributed offensively a lot. He has um, gotten kicked out of a number of games for taking dumb penalties on hits to the head. Um, He's made great plays in his own zone. He's made a bunch of goofy plays in his own (laughs) zone. He's been all over the board. He's a guy that we like, um, has a lot of speed, is a guy who can get the puck out. But we've just been informed in the last few days that he had some sort of off-season surgery and will be out until mid-season. Everyone, every year, season gets ready to start, and someone has a major injury. We don't know who it is, but every year, someone's got a major ailment, and it's typically a good player, and we just brace for impact. Yeah. And this year, it's Ethan Edwards. But thankfully, it sounds like it's only a few months, so he can be in the second half. Um I thought he was better as a freshman, at least more promising. It didn't really take a step forward last year, but I don't think Casey was the right partner for him. Yeah. Um, Whereas I really like the idea of him on a third pair, getting a little bit easier assignments and ability to um, go up ice and do his thing. And And him playing with Holtz isn't, wouldn't have been the worst thing. No. So I'm, I like his ability to, to take that next step forward this year, but unfortunately, we're going to probably have to wait a bit to see if he does. It also, in some ways, might mean that unless he explodes, um, he comes back for his senior season. Quite possible. I mean, let's be frank. Devils are not exactly short on defensemen at the moment. So, And, I mean, when you miss... They, they already have enough good NHL defensemen that they're like, we're not sure if we can fit in our past two top five picks of defensemen <laughs> on the team. So... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could you could see like a Portillo situation where he gets traded because he wants to sign and you know whatever. But um, the uh, but it also seems like if you miss the first half of your junior year, it's I mean unless you really explode, yeah, you're gonna have something still yet to prove. And um, I mean, it's definitely in there for Edwards. He was a draft pick, and like you had mentioned, and you know you do see the upside. Um, it's too bad that we won't get to see a full year of him because there there is a lot to like. There are just some things that he definitely has to cut out of his game. And so maybe those are th- mental things he can work on while he's not on the ice. 
Let's take a break and uh, talk about the goalies after. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924-9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. second segment talking about the goalies before we get into the schedule and um the rest of the league and talking about the teams um so for the last few years we've gotten to talk about eric portillo who has had one of the better years a couple years ago for michigan and kind of continued the man legacy of really good goaltending last year started pretty well um missed a series with an injury and um, it looked like on the ice never fully recovered, had some issues after that uh, puck tracking, keeping hold of his stick, things like that. And has a lot of measurables, but um, just kind of fell off a little bit, whether that was due to, you know, whatever happened to him or he just regressed or any number of things. Uh, he has since moved on. And, you know, Michigan didn't bring in a commit. They instead hit the transfer portal and they brought in a guy who has been um, probably the mold for consistency throughout his career. Um, Jacob Barczewski, I think is now we have his name pronunciation that um, I'm sure you will continue to announce that how you've nailed that pronunciation. I've heard that about five times in the last week. Well, we you. had a disagreement um, in the spring about how we had a. We have no idea what this is name. I mean, it could be anything. I mean, but it, when you look at Mike Shashevsky's name, how would you pronounce it phonetically? Like, it could be any number of ways. Well, as I said at the time, it was only because Illinois' right tackle was <laughs> Alex Palcheski, and it was spelled the same way. It was just Pal versus Bar, Bar at the okay. start of the name, and I was like, well, it's probably pronounced the same way. It wasn't Palzuski. That's kind of more fun. But anyway. Ryan, Ryan hated it. We had to break that news to him on Friday. <laughs> how it was pronounced. Oh, Brian. Um, but Barczewski has been good at Canisius. Yep. Uh, unbeknownst to us until basically the tournament last year when we previewed him a little bit when they were going to take on Minnesota. Held his own in that game for a while until uh, the, what is it, the double major and 
Minnesota basically just started blowing the game open. But um, like his numbers have been good. And I mean, honestly, if he gives us a season that is remotely close to what he's given, a, what he gave Canisius for four years, I think I sign up for that right now. A four-year player at Canisius, first year wasn't that great, but final three years were quite good. Oh, it was three years. Okay. Um, 926 in 2021, although that was a very short season. 2022, he had a 9.23, and then last season he was sitting at like 9.25 before the Minnesota debacle. Uh, He had the shutout of Holy Cross and the Atlantic Hockey Tournament to get them to that point, and then he gave up in total nine goals against Minnesota. That was not ideal. You can watch the tape. It's all the tape there is on him. It's, <laughs> no Canisius games have ever been recorded it's, before that. It's not great tape. I'll just put it that way. The Minnesota game? Yeah. He I mean he he was hung out to dry in some parts, but it was a it was a clunker. There's okay. a couple real rough goals in there and you know, could have just been an off night. That you, was, know, you never know. It was also like an awesome Minnesota offense. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of goals he gives up that you're just like, okay. But there was like a couple where like they were like Portillo against Quinnipiac, where like he banks in off like his back and like just some weird stuff. It was clearly not his best night. But he's, uh, no one can deny he was an incredible Atlantic hockey goalie, probably the best in that league over the past few seasons. Question is, how does he do in the Big Ten? He's played four-ish games against um, teams equivalent to Big Ten competition. He stumped 40 of 44 against Penn State. He had the 27 of 36 against Minnesota, 39 of 40 against Penn State the preceding year, and then against North Dakota in fall 2019. Whoa. He played in parts of two games, 33 of 38. So in total, it's 139 of 158 or 880, which is not what you want, but it's a small sample size. Very and, small sample size. And, and those are very different games and times that you're adding together there. And the overriding thing is that in all of those games, the team in front of him was getting whipped. And that's, <laughs> you know, won't be the case in this destination. Right. And as I wrote in my preview there, goaltenders and the team in front of them are linked in inextricable ways. And it's been the hardest thing for analytics to try and untangle that relationship. And we're still not at that point where we're really truly able to divorce a goalie from the team he plays on because they're just linked in such notable ways. And there are teams that can play in ways that can take the load off a goalie, uh, Vegas being obviously most notable given their past season. And their coach, Bruce Cassidy's made a career out of designing systems that always produce 920 goaltending, no matter who it is. And so that's, I think, for Barcheski and for Noah West. The success of those goalies will be as much about the goalie himself as the team and the team playing in a way that allows the goalie to succeed. The numbers Peter had on Barczewski, he was much worse than Portillo sliding across. Mm. And that's not surprising. So, Well, I mean, Portillo was a third-round pick, and you don't get exactly. a ton of goalies. Portillo, number one, is bigger, and he was also more athletic. So that's going to be part of it. But the point being that when you look at the Minnesota tape and that sort of thing, you can see how... Barczewski may have struggled against the elite competition because the team in front of him is allowing a lot of passes that made him slide across, that made him have to do different stuff that he's not as good at. Yeah. And we've seen now for multiple seasons in Minnesota pull a random guy off the street from Saskatchewan, toss him in at goalie, and he's put up like 925s multiple years in a row. And he's like five foot four. So. I mean, they had you know that's a loaded defensive court exactly, the last few but years. But that's my point. Minnesota has played in a manner with 
good defense and a structured system that keeps everything in front that has allowed Justin Close to thrive. And I don't think it is above Michigan to play in a similar manner that can help your goalies out. That is probably true. We just haven't seen it. Um, But Michigan has not played that way at all. Yes. And they could. I would just be surprised given everything I've seen ever at Michigan hockey. They have basically played. I mean, they did kind of go into a shell a little bit. Um, in the early Mel era, when yeah, they, they were good at that, yeah. when they didn't really have uh, well any <laughs> attacking players, <laughs> um, but that hasn't been the case for a few years now, and it seems like Michigan has a lot of players that want to put the puck in the net, can put the puck in the net, and they will try to do that. The one really, really good thing that Portillo could do last year was he was great in odd man rush situations. Yeah, and I especially don't, and I don't think Barczewski will be. No. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone really be that good against no. getting hung out or in situations where they're hung out to dry. Um, so that is one thing. We didn't really touch about this in defense, but that is one thing that the defense is going to have to get better at is, I mean, that was that Quinnipiac game. They gave up I don't even I think they gave up eight or ten odd man rushes like that 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 era of Michigan hockey has to be over has to if be. they give up ten odd man rushes um I might just walk out of the press box <laughs> you just can't do that I mean yeah. Portillo like gave them a chance in those situations but in what context can you sit here and be like ah we're gonna hang our goalie out ten times and hope we plan to win the hockey game I mean, you can do it if you score a lot, and <laughs> yeah, but even and you then, have a goalie you really trust. And in what? I mean, how many times are you like, yeah, we'll probably bag seven? It depends on the way you want to play, right, and all that sort of stuff. But the way you have to play, given this goalie situation, is a little bit different. But you've also yeah. got you got a go- uh, a defense that could have a, you have guys that can do it. You have a defense that's going to have a fifth year player, possibly two seniors, a junior. You just can't be doing that sort of thing with that upper. You know, you have to when you have players. If, if they're not, it will make me wonder what is going on at practice and what is going on with the coaching. That's just what I'll say. So I I would not disagree with that. I think that given this roster, it it is it will be on the coaches if you are not better in your own zone. Yep. Um, so Barczewski, we think, is going to start, it seems. Maybe. He started the exhibition. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tandem for a little bit. You think they'll alternate games? I think they probably will for a few weeks, and then they'll go from there. Well, here's the, the thing, and you know, this is a bit of a spoiler, you know, talking about the schedule of the league, but their third season, or they, they have one home series. They go on the road to a team that they should beat, but it's still a road series. And then they get Ohio State at home, who might, you know, not be as up as they were the last year. But, I mean, those are games that if you want to win this league, you got to win. And, you know, is that a game where you start your backup goaltender unless you really think you have one and one A? I don't know if they are going into this season thinking they have a starter and a backup. I think they may be going in with two guys that are that are battling for the job. Does that make you nervous? I don't know. I <laughs> You know if it makes you nervous or not. I, I'm not nervous learning that. I'm yeah. nervous the moment I saw the roster with these names. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> so it does make you nervous. Just the whole thing does. Even, the if, they, even if they said Jacob Marcheski's our guy, he's playing 40 games, I'd be terrified. Because I am. <laughs> terrified. I don't trust goaltending. You know me. So, well, that's probably you true. You know, until we see them do it, you know, look, there's a chance they could be really bad. There is. I... I, I 
I think I have a little more faith in the coaching staff that when they went and got this guy that they didn't go get somebody else. Um, they have a roster that, aside from goaltending, looks like it could, should compete yeah, they to win a very, the Big Ten. Yeah, they have a very good roster. They, they, they just... could win a national championship. That's how good that this team could be if players hit their ceilings. Um, and to go get a goalie who you don't really have a lot of faith in seems to undermine all of that. But um, it seems to me that he could, should be the starter. Um, you know, we talked about, or we haven't talked about Noah West. We saw him in action last year. He played three games, a win, a loss, and a tie. Uh, oh, yes. The two Penn State games where he, he loses to Penn State. Ye- no, he ties. Yes, he loses. To- he loses to Penn State um, in a game that I think he probably plays really well. He His three stat lines last year were 46 of 48, 32 of 35, and 26 of 30. Yeah, so his save percentage is nine twenty. Nine twenty. GAA is just under three. Um, he played, started one game against Minnesota. I that think. was his twenty six of thirty game. Yeah, he didn't look good at all in that game. Um, the Penn State games, he was when Portillo was out, he was better. I thought um, he was uh, good in the game that they lost three to nothing, where the team looked. I mean, the forty six of forty eight. That is a real performance. Yeah. Um, and then the second game, the defense kind of collapses around him as he has a 3-0 lead with like 10 minutes to go. They just <laughs> – they punched out early in that game. Apparently. Um, and you know, I don't know what to think. I I'm, I guess I lean to Barczewski over West based on what I've seen from West. Um, it's, it's, a, it's probably the most uncertain the Michigan goaltending situation has been since probably the – JLF Hayden Levine days. Yeah. Which now is I mean if a while ago. If West can play a full season with a nine twenty save percentage, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and uh yeah, I think he, that if you get nine twenty from either of these guys, that's that's <laughs> I will take that so fast. Um it's just about replicating it and continuing to to do that sort of thing and I don't know how they play in practice. Barcheski has the edge in, in college hockey experience, but West has the advantage in this program and with these players and the coaching staff. So we'll see. I think they'll, it depends on how they are coming out of camp, but Narado had talked about a tandem and giving both guys a shot. So we'll see what they do. Andrew Albano is the third goalie. He is a grad transfer. Um, does he get run? <laughs> Getting uh, Albano is funny because we've had a number of third goalies, but this one is like the, we're, this is the most like we're not even trying third goalie of all time. <laughs> I mean, he he was the backup for Norwich University in D three. He was the backup. He was the backup. Yes. So he didn't even play. No, he played seven games last year. The starter played like twenty something. Is this more confusing than the Pletsky? No. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is like we just need someone on the roster. And were you not available? <laughs> Has your eligibility run out? <laughs> He's older than me, though. <laughs> There's not that many people in the not, world older than you. Not uh, many ho- college hockey players left that are older than me, but Andrew Albano is. So, <sighs> Well, such is college hockey these days, I suppose. Um, so that is the roster. I assume that you have nothing else to say about that. Um, I think it's overall a good roster. I think you are a bit concerned about the goaltending and, I mean, not for poor reason by any means. Um but if they get good goaltending and you see guys like Nazer and Casey start to push their ceilings, I think that 
you know, the upside of this team is high. It doesn't feel as high as maybe the last two years um, because some of the areas of st- are not as stable. Um, you know, they don't, it, it seems like they have more have, you know, again, the Nazer thing is, is the question is what, what is he when he's healthy and, and playing? It seems like they have more, a mix of two top lines instead of one really good line. And the goaltending is unproven at Michigan at this point. So, you know, where that, what does that mean? Um, is, is an interesting debate. They're probably a tournament team. They should be probably a two or three seed, I would think, unless things go really poorly. Um, but are they going to be a one seed like they have been the last couple of years? I don't know about that. They could be. They could be. Uh, are you? Are do you think? Are you as confident in them being a one seed as you were when you looked at the teams from the last two years? Well, the two years ago was a special case. That is um, correct. Last year, you know, I, I went back and I was reading all the stuff and listening to some of what we said last year. And, you know, last season, it was not like we're coming in and we're going to be awesome. I mean, I was arguing that they were going to be that. But, you know, the feel was they had lost a lot of pieces and we had high hopes for Fantilli, but we didn't know he was going to be a 70-point player as a freshman. I mean... No, you had the comps of him really high, though. and That we, was me saying, you know, I hope that this is what he does, but... We also had a goaltender who was coming off an awesome year and you had a bunch of defensemen who had played a lot at Michigan before. Yeah, I mean, I think that I like this roster quite a bit. I think they can be better in some areas that they haven't been as much in in recent years. And the point Brian did make that I thought was correct on MGO Radio was that when you look at the goaltending, it's concerning. But at the same time, it's not like they got good goaltending last year. So yeah, they were nine oh seven save percentage last year. So it's not like you're replacing a nine thirty five. It's not like Kale Str- Morris. Str- Strauss man or something yeah, last year. Or so, yeah. And they're going to have a lot of, of good players on this team. So I think they're a top 10 team, and it just depends on how consistent they can be. And I hope that's one thing I hope is that they can be more consistent night in and night out And because they're an older team. It's an older roster than they've had in recent years. Mm-hmm. and Especially on defense. You know, I was looking at the College Hockey News preseason top 10, and they had Michigan fourth, and, you know, I think they're around that mix. I mean, Boston College is going to be crazy talented, but very young, and BU is kind of the favorite coming in with Celebrini and Lane Hudson, and they'll be good. Um, Denver should be good. Their QPAC will be good, like always, and, you know, you'll have teams like that, and then the Big Ten will be loaded, but when I look at the Big Ten, I don't think there's any team that I'm like, I'm sure this team is way better than Michigan. I think it's a pretty open Big Ten this year. Well, let's talk about that. We'll we'll talk about our non-con first because we you know have to go through that at least at least Providence because Michigan opens with Providence uh, in a game that I'm not sure how many people will actually be watching. Considering. I won't be watching. You will be. No, I said I won't be. Well, we'll have it on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you have a place to go that is plural televisions. I, I, it's 2023, Alex. Um, the second but, game got picked up on BTN. If you saw that today, did it really? Yeah. I wish it was the opposite. <laughs> uh, but. The Michigan opens. They have to show you Indiana and Akron. Ah, well, we got to see that. Um, Michigan opens against Providence on Saturday night at, I believe, seven o'clock at Yoast, and then Sunday at four, I believe, on BTN yeah. at Yoast. Um, Providence has been a pretty good program over the last few years. They won a national title back in, I believe, twenty fifteen, and have generally been around the bubble, if not in the tournament, since then. 
Um, you have some notes that you sent me that they lose their top three scores, but everybody else is back. Um, it's the revenge game for Marcus Brandman. I know I should know who that is. You remember Marcus Brandman? He was supposed to be the goalie this year. Remember, he was the Swedish goalie recruit who got allegedly (laughs) Papa Conte. (laughs) Oh man, is he going to start? I have no idea. Uh, I don't know, but he should. They uh, just for the content. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. Um, I'd like to see him like in the concourse of Yost. Like, if he's like tearing things down, yeah, go find like a Umish admissions person, (laughs) corner them, and um. So they were. You have them as a middling five hundred ish team last year that you think um, should get a little bit better, but not a it, ton. It doesn't seem like they like they're not bringing in any big names, and they're you know they should have progressed forward, but they weren't particularly good last year. So they look like a decent team. Maybe they can be around the bubble, but they're not like a preseason top ten. But this is a team that Michigan should beat twice at Yost. And you look at the Hockey East, you know, it's you'd expect the Boston schools and, and you know, potentially Harvard and even Merrimack to kind of be ahead of them this year. But, they're, you know, they're top 15 to 20 range, maybe 25, something like that. Yeah, it's a team Michigan should be able to beat. It, it's a nice first game because it's not pointless, like playing Lindenwood, but it's... <laughs> It's not super hard either. But it's, right? not, it's, pl- not, it's not BU last yeah, year. Yeah, we're not breaking in against... Well, last year they started against Lindenwood, but... Right, but I mean, like, they also played BU in the second series. And, and by the way, when they played BU last year, we weren't sure they were super good. Who, BU? I, wa- I was, but then they were preseason, like, top 15. They weren't, like, top five preseason. Any any other of, of your horns that you want to toot over there? <laughs> or are you just going to tell us about your pronunciation specialties and, and your assurances of BU? Um, so... Anything in particular that you want to see or you're standing out? There's really not a preview because we don't have any numbers um, on anyone. Uh, So they have guys, uh, like like you said, that that, but they don't have any stars Uh, per se. No one that I really want to shout out or anything. Okay. Um, So if you see Marcus Brandman, give him a hug. (laughs) Or actually, maybe don't. That probably would be illegal of some sort, but unless you know him previously. Uh, Then Michigan next weekend, um, no, not this weekend coming up, but the following weekend, the Indiana football weekend, they go to UMass, which is the return series from, what, two years ago? UMass came here to open the second half of the superstar team. Yes. And Michigan, I think, beat them 3-0-3-0. They weren't Maybe great that year. They were a good team. They made the tournament that year. Then last year, they crashed and burned. It's been a hard fall from grace for them. They were a sub-500 team last year. They were like 8th or ninth in a bad hockey East. So they need to turn it around. They should have some decent players. But again, kind of like Providence, not a team that you're circling on the schedule. I think it's not a bad team to have as your first road game because you can kind of ease into the road game, but we still have to show up and play. So, But you would, I mean, Michigan should be, I mean, I mean no one except Ryan Zook bets on college hockey, but you would have them as the favorite going into Amherst? Yeah. For both games. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, and you said that they have a 6-7 monster goalie? Yeah, they got Michael Her. Hrabal, Hrabal. Something like that. He was the top goalie in the last draft. He went 35th, I believe. So yeah. I'm not sure if he'll be their starter, but he probably will be. Because That's he's huge. So highly Six, seven. He yeah, could be a Michigan tight end. They're trying to remake Ben Bishop. 
Um, since so that's next weekend. I'm sure it'll be streamed. Hopefully, it'll be streamed. I would like to see at least some of that series. Um, East TV is that's a thing. I don't know if it's a thing. Uh, it's maybe Nessen Plus. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so there's another subscription we can <laughs> try to find. Um, and then the third. Uh, uh, well, no, they play Lindenwood on the third week of the season, right? Well, and it's Ohio State, but that's in the Big Ten. So oh, okay, yeah, so we'll get that. Third non-conference series is... Lindenwood, it's Lindenwood. Which, uh... We can move on. You don't want to break that down any more than just Lindenwood? I, I don't mind having one Lindenwood series. It's the second Lindenwood series <laughs> against a much worse Lindenwood that we'll get to in a moment. That's uh, the real problem, but... Um, but that's Michigan's bye week, so at least uh, we don't... Yeah, at least we get to watch a good game. <laughs> You're spicy today. <laughs> Um, and then Michigan's fourth non-con series, because after that, the, you get three weeks of... Why couldn't we four- put the St. Cloud series that weekend and flip Lindenwood to Thanksgiving? Because then we'd have to go to Yost for one game. I'm, I'm probably not going on the 25th. Okay. Maybe no one will go on the 25th. You shouldn't go on the 25th. <laughs> sure. That's a different take. All right. Uh, but they get St. Cloud uh, in St. Cloud. Yep. So that means that next year Michigan will host St. Cloud. But... They go to St. Cloud, which is a fun trip. I like that. It's a good schedule, uh, especially if you're going to schedule Lindenwood and Lindenwood Part 2. Um, St. Cloud, again, been a very good program. They've fallen off since Motsko has gone to Minnesota. Yes, but they were But a good they've team. still been good. They they've were, made the tournament. They were a good team last year, but unfortunately, um, they got beat by Minnesota in the regional final. And now this is a, one of those years where they're kind of rebuilding a little bit because they had a, they were a very, very, very veteran team last year. 10 of 14 scores were seniors or grad transfers, yeah. is what you noted. Yeah, they managed to put a COVID shirt on a few of them and get them a few back. But that, it was a lot of attrition. They're really good goalie left as well. So a little bit of turnover there. Another series where Michigan is definitely favored. I mean, St. Cloud's not a, a preseason top 15 or 20 team, really. Maybe 20, but... But this is... this is So this is a better year to go to St. Cloud. Yeah, this is a nice year to do that. Okay, and that will be the Thanksgiving weekend series, it looks like. Um, and then Michigan's... We've already touched on Lindenwood, and so you have a lot to say about Michigan's last non-con series to open the second half of the year on January 12th and 13th is they get to host Stone Hill. Now, is that a land formation or a college? <laughs> they are a college in Easton, Massachusetts. They, I would have had no idea what state they, they were moved in. up to D1 last season. Their mascot is the Skyhawks. Oh, it should have been like the Stones. The- <laughs> The Rolling Stones. <laughs> the, Stone. the Stonehill Rolling Stones. <laughs> that would have been a good name. <laughs> that actually would have been all right. Um, so they moved up to D1 last year, but remember, we talked about them frequently last year. We did. Because they were not playing any team. If you close your eyes right now, could you tell me one player on their team? No. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't read out their players. We just mentioned that they were never playing any D1 games. How many times did they play Lindenwood? They played five D1 games last year. They played Long Island three times. Three. Oh, they played Long Lindenwood twice. Okay. Their results were against Long Island, lost 7-1, to one, lost 9-3, to three, lost 9-1, to one, and against Lindenwood, lost 5-2 to two and 10-3. to three. So their best defensive performance was giving up five goals. They, gave, they allowed... They scored 10 goals in five games, and they allowed 40 goals in five games. How much are you looking forward to this series? This should not exist. (laughs) Will Will Michigan score more than 15 goals on the weekend? 
Yes. <laughs> you want to know some of the other teams they play? Will Chase Pletsky get on the scoreboard against Stonehill? <laughs> he probably can. <laughs> they played, like, the SUNY teams, like oh, Portland yeah. and Morrisville. They played Binghamton. Fr- Franklin Pierce University. Framingham, Framingham. I'm sorry. State. What are you saying? <laughs> Framingham. Fra- <laughs> is that a is that like a third tier EPL team? <laughs> Framingham State University, Saint Anselm College, Salve Regina University, Fitchburg State okay. University. This is not real. This is who the Harry Potter schools would play. I already issued a warrant for an arrest about the schedulers <laughs> over the Providence game times. I like it, it that have... you're in charge of that. You need to tell me these things because I, I want to be more involved in your other jobs because they sound really interesting. Uh, warrant issuer is, is, is good. I like that. All right. So now we'll go through the Big Ten. You sent them to me in an order. Is this the order that we play them? No, this is just the order I felt like looking them up. Okay, so um, it, this is actually the order that we play some of them, including the first team. But you sent Ohio State first, who Michigan opens with on October 20th and 21st. Uh, it looks like the game time for the Ohio- first, the Friday night game is 6, and the Saturday game hopefully is not at night, because I know it's much rumored that Michigan will play Michigan State in football at night. They'll make sure it is at night. Yeah, I, I don't how it works. doubt that, which will be As soon as the TV great. scheduling for football comes out, they just make sure to overlap. To just, one's Michigan hockey playing. <laughs> this is our first thing that we're going to look at. So, um, it'll be another interesting weekend on the hockey coverage. But um, Ohio State loses some, some, some guys. Obviously, we talked about Tyler Duke. That was a nice pickup. They lost and- a lot on defense. Their forward core is largely intact. They lost a couple guys, but um, Stephen Halliday was their top scorer last year. He was a freshman. He was like a draft pick. Uh, yes, late round guy. He was one of those classic USHL scorers who blows up into an overage draft pick. Okay. Um, so I think they'll be able to score some, but you know, for them last year, such a huge part of their team was that system they ran, mm-hmm. and now they're going to be kind of recreating it, especially on defense. Well, they also had Lowry on defense. And he blossomed late, really good. late in the year, was really good down the stretch for them. He is out the door. Tyler Duke's out the door. There's uh, several other players that they lost. They really returned, I think, one of their top five defensemen. Well, and their goalies out the door. Dobish. And Dobish is gone. So they went and got uh, Logan Turnus from UConn. He was the 1B for the Huskies. Looked okay. He's their new goalie. They scotch taped together a new decor, some recruits, some transfers, uh, nobody of like big name. I'm just curious to see how they do in terms of being able to forecheck as aggressively as they did last year and all that kind of stuff, whether they can pull it off again. Well, Michigan also turned them inside out on game five that they played against. Well, last year, their big problem was that when they faced teams that were really good defensively and knew how to get the puck out, they got crushed. They were not competitive at all against Minnesota, and yeah. then finally Michigan figured it out, and then you know ran them out. So yeah, in probably the most fun game of last year. Probably, yep. Arguably, yeah. Um, so you're. This feels like we've talked about them in the offseason a little bit. This feels like more of a down year for Ohio State. Probably the other problem is the Big Ten is just getting better and better, and the teams that weren't as good suck less. Yes, and they're now falling in terms of the amount of talent on their team. Could they finish last in the Big Ten? Whoever finishes last is probably going to be a good team, so mm. sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, but All right, so we're expecting a bit of a down year from the Bucks. Ice, ice Bucks. 
Wisconsin is the next team that you send to me. They were some kind of bad last year, um, but they can't be that bad this year. They went out. They finally got rid of Tony Granado. Tony Granado, and they bring in Mike Hastings, who uh, was awesome at Minnesota State. This feels like going from Brady Hoke to Jim Harbaugh to me. You think Mike Hastings is that good? I don't know. I mean, he was a very good coach at Minnesota State. No yes. one can deny that. That he is very true. He won a ton of games. He won either the he won the regular season title in eight of the past nine seasons in the CCHA slash WCHA. Okay. He won the conference title, uh, tournament title, or, or regular season in like ten of twelve years. I mean, they dominated that league, and eventually they figured out the NCAA tournament. They went deep twice, made two Frozen Fours, played in a in a title game. And they've pumped out some quality players, like some guys that got signed by NHL teams and are playing in the high AHL and on the you know cusp of the bubble. I mean, he's not working with elite talent at Minnesota State. Yeah. And he won a lot of hockey games. And so I would bet against him at your own risk. But the reason I really brought that up is that, you know, he's coming into Wisconsin in a similar situation that Harbaugh walked into, in that you actually have a lot of talented players. They've just been really badly coached. And, and the goaltending has undermined them at times. At times. The goaltending will be the question of this team. But, you know, he's bringing – you look at this Wisconsin roster. They've got 13 drafted players. That's more than Michigan has. Yeah. And they That's the same that's number. That's a Minnesota as, BU. That's the same number as Minnesota. It is a very talented roster. They've got a lot of players. Not as many, like, first-round picks, but a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth-rounders. And I think Hastings – can go to work with that. And he brings one guy who scored 29 points for Minnesota State, one guy that scored 39 points for Minnesota State. So he brings a couple guys with him. That are that can score and also probably know what he wants to yeah, do. Yeah, and I mean, you had Charlie Strammel, who really underachieved and tumbled down the draft board. But that's a guy you could see, you know, snapping suddenly into form and being really productive. For them, Cruz Lucius as well. I mean, they this is... They're a top four talent team in this conference, uh, roughly. Yeah. And I don't think it's crazy. They also have outshot their opposition two years in a row. Problem is they keep shooting under 10% and getting sub-900 goal <laughs> Well, you, you were last year, like, they can't shoot as bad. Well, they didn't, but they... <laughs> But not much better. Not much better. They went from 6% to 8%. Yeah, which is still the same, basically. The point is, though, that compared to what Nightingale walked into at MSU, a roster of terrible players who were terribly coached and getting caved in every night, Wisconsin isn't. They weren't getting caved in. They were just, for whatever reason, unable to finish or prevent goals and has a lot of talent. And for that reason, you could expect a sizable jump when you bring in a real coach. And I think that is why you can be excited. The one question is the goaltending. They lost Jared Moe. Nothing to cry about. But they're left with Kyle McClelland, who didn't really transfer or translate from Mercyhurst and was the backup to Moe. And then they bring in a Swedish guy who was in the NAHL and had sub-900 numbers in Swedish juniors. That doesn't... Not feeling great about yeah. <laughs> that. So that could hold them back. But I expect a sizable leap from them. Uh, Tournament? Mm. Certainly possible. Okay. If their goalie hits? Sure. I think any of these Big Ten teams could get in. I mean, last season, it was only the one laughing stock that wasn't on the cusp of the tournament. I mean, the Big Ten had six of the top 17 yeah. or 18 last year, so. That's true. All right. Our good friends in Minnesota, the Nate Wells portion of the podcast, um, they obviously lose Logan Cooley late 
They lose Matthew Nyes. That was expected. Yep. Um, they lose a considerable amount on their defense, including Ryan Johnson, Jackson Lacombe, and Brock Faber. Those are a lot of really good players. Um, but you have that their depth is returning. They do get Snuggerud back. They added a couple of firsts in Oliver Moore and Sam Rinzel. Um, and they get Justin Close back, who I am could have sworn he was out of eligibility last year. But It's a um, case study in number of players lost versus quality of players lost. Because they really didn't lose that many players. It's just all the players they did were like all-American caliber players. <laughs> so, are they... Are the guys coming in at that same level of the no, players? No, I would lost? not say so. Um, Oliver Moore is a player I, I I like quite a bit, but I'm not going to lie and tell you he's Logan Cooley. He's not. Um, I think he should be a good player right away. Is but he Logan, freshman? Logan Matthew Cooley Nice was the only player in the country that had an argument like in the same tier as Fantilli. Logan Cooley was awesome. Yeah, and Moore just probably won't be. Like he'll he'll be good. I mean, he might be freshman Beniers, which was a really good player, but that's not Logan Cooley. Yeah. So. Um, and then same thing with Sam Renzel, who was a late first round pick. Like, yeah, good player, but is he going to be junior year Brock Faber, who's gone through years of college hockey experience? No. Like, that's that was what was so big about their defensemen last year. Not just were they NHL caliber, but they were three, four year players that had battle scars and knew the whole thing. And so you look at their team last season. What stuck out to you? It was the four horsemen on defense, these older, experienced guys, and it was their dominant top line. And now the two engines of the top line are gone, and three of the four defensemen are gone. So now, you know, how does the team progress? And so what can Snuggerud do without Nyes and Cooley? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> that is a good on what question. you think about Jimmy Snuggerud. Yeah. Well, he if was a first-round pick. You're probably excited if you think he was a— Cooley. Were you? I I am more on the side that he was a passenger on that line who was a really good shooter and finished a lot of chances. But if he drives his own line, power to him, and the Blues will be really happy. Who would you take straight up, Snuggerud or McGrory? Probably Snuggerud. But all right, I know I think he's a good player. I just think that the other two guys did the the heavy lifting on that line, so that'll be interesting. And the other question, obviously, is with their defenseman leaving, that could expose close to more dangerous shots, and that's something we've long wondered about. And well, and especially in Minnesota, Michigan has fared well against close. Yeah, Michigan's never had any issue with scoring on Justin Close, but a lot of other teams have. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that it could cause a multi-level breakdown if their defense isn't as strong because it will hurt the defense and the goalie significantly, you know. So, so they're still being predicted to win the Yeah, but this conference? is in college hockey voters. We've, we've been through this. <laughs> well, but I mean, they've also won the last couple and no, they've, and won, I, it, no, they've won it going away. No, and I think that they are certainly worthy of a top five to ten ranking. I think they'll be a good team. I think Bob Motzko is a great coach. They have a lot of talent, all that stuff. Are they definitively better than Michigan? No. All right. I don't think they're definitively better than another team in the state of Michigan. So Would that be the Michigan State Spartans? I was going to say Northern Michigan, but, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. You got me on that one. I mean, MSU. So this is an in really interesting case because they were really not good two years ago. They weren't great last year, but you could see some improvement. And now they have basically jettisoned a lot of those players and brought in a bunch of talented ones via the transfer portal. Yeah, and what Nightingale did last year was exceptional. I think that was one of the great coaching jobs of all time because that roster was so bad. I mean, how many of those players are even 
I can tell you right now, they went 18-18-3 and three in, in playing in the hardest conference in college hockey, and I can't even name any players on their roster from last year. Who are their forwards? You know, I was looking through all their uh, names. I'm like, I don't remember any of these guys. The the one Krieger brother was still there. Jesse. Tucker. Tucker. And he left in the offseason. <laughs> I mean, they, they were a no-name, no-talent roster of bad players that he got to 500. And that's remarkable. And now here comes the Cavalry. And now we can see what he'll do with real players. And so they went through the portal. They picked up a couple guys that were struggling at their previous schools. Uh, Tampa Bay first rounder Isaac Howard from Duluth. Uh, Red Savage, the Red Wings fourth rounder from um, Miami. Those two His guys. Name is Red Savage. Yeah, it's a great name. <laughs> but those two guys were not really clicking at their school. So they come in. He picked up Joey Larson from uh, NMU, who had 27 points as a true freshman last year. Mm. Um, Reed Lebster, our famous. Yes. <laughs> Red, he was at uh, UMass. Uh, yes, our favorite Red Lobster ripoff. He joins their roster as well. They also got a really old defenseman from somewhere. So they got five guys out of the portal who are going to play on their team. And then they add... Trey Augustine to play in net. He was the third goalie off the board. In the Who moment. was a former Michigan commit. Yep. From the uh, U.S. NTDP. He was just. But his coach was Nightingale. Yep. Which is why it's presumed that he left. Yeah. Well, also it happened when Mel was fired. Uh -huh. So, um, But yeah, he'll slide in net. And then they're adding uh, some pretty solid recruits, especially on defense. Maxim Struback from... Uh, maybe Sioux City in the US USHL, one of those leagues. He was a second rounder. And then obviously Artem Levshinov um, from Belarus, who is in the lottery discussion for this upcoming draft. He correctly chose a team that will give him power play one minutes and should be pretty good. So it's a huge infusion of talent into this roster. It's going to be like half the roster. What's will be their new, ceiling? We new players. One seed? Sure. If everything goes right. I think whoever wins the Big Ten will probably get a one seed. Um, well, that's probably the case, yeah. And I, and I think MSU should be a really good team. They have a lot of players, and they have a good coach, and you know I'm excited to see what they can do. All right. Uh, Penn State. Uh, this is a team that is sort of, well, you know, Michigan had quite the game with them in the tournament last year. Um, had quite the game with Liam Soulier in the tournament last well, year. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Um but they lose. You have that their top four scorers are gone. and They were like St. Cloud. They were a very veteran roster. They tend to be, right? Well, when they're good. Okay. Because they don't have any NHL players. So they just yeah. kind of have to wait until they get a you know 10 seniors and then all of a sudden they're good. So you expect a drop off from that? I just think that for Ohio State and Penn State in particular, it's going to become increasingly hard to compete in this league if Michigan State and Wisconsin, in oh, addition okay. to Michigan and Minnesota, are reeling in first rounders. Yeah. That's probably true. Um, I mean, somebody has to lose hockey games yeah. when you play Big Ten contests. And I'm, you know, I don't know if uh, Liam Soulier is going to be good again. He's had one good season in his college career, and that had haunted them for several years. The goaltending problem. So, is, I, do you have a reason to think that he wouldn't be, or I, like, did it look like goaltending's fickle, and you know, it's not like he has a track record mm. built up of exceptional goaltending play. So. I think they could be a solid team. Hockey Valley is a hard place to play, all that sort of stuff. But it does feel like they're going to take a bit of a, of a bit of a step back. Do you like them over Ohio State? But they're also going to do the same stupid thing they do every year. Uh oh, stupid! They they did it again. 
If you pull up their non-conference schedule. <laughs> it's your favorite thing. They were sub-500 in the Big Ten. And yeah. and look, I'm not saying it was wrong that they got... It's this weird paradigm now where legitimately the Big Ten has seven of the top 20 teams in the country. Uh-huh. And so you can be below water in your conference and still get a two seed in the tournament, which I honestly don't think is necessarily wrong. Because who'd they play? Like Tech or somebody? And they... Beat the oh, they destroyed. Yeah. yeah, so I'm not saying it's wrong that they get to be a two seed, being underwater in their conference, because hey, Big Ten is just that great. Yep. But it's extremely frustrating that they get to play Army ten times, and then you know that's their secret to getting a two seed in the tournament, which Michigan is apparently borrowing. Hey, <laughs> well, to some degree, to some degree, because I mean. UMass is down, and yeah. I guess St. Cloud is down, and yeah. Providence is not BU from last year. It doesn't seem to be. So uh, maybe that is what you do. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll find out again with Penn State. Do they go 10 and 0? You have to. Uh, yeah, I know. That's the thing about scheduling that schedule is it's, it's like, a high pressure gamble. I mean, kind of. It's that, like, we have to go 10 and 0. If we do, it's a massive. Do they boom. host those games? If or? we lose one game, we're done. Our are season's they, over. <laughs> are they going to any of those schools? I mean, like, that's the problem, right? Is when you. When you when you go any of those places, they're going to Long Island. They're going to Clarkson. They're going to St. Lawrence. Hey, they're that's doing that, three games. They're doing that trip. We did that trip one year. Uh, then they host American for two. They host Alaska Anchorage for two. So that's seven. They host Lindenwood for two, and then they get and they host Army. So they have that the first three games. I mean. Penn or Ohio State got drunk on Long Islands last year, <laughs> the night before Michigan beat them in football, yeah, which was a great and, omen. Yeah, and then uh, I mean that at Clarkson is the only one of that game of those games that you can feasibly lose, and it's okay. Yeah, well, we'll find out right away. It's it's, it's just infuriating because college hockey has the ability to stop this. They could reform the pairwise formula to make it. There's a lot of things that college hockey could do, Alex. They I, don't do yes, those things. They don't want to. So We argue against them every year. The last team in the Big Ten are the leprechauns of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Um, so they had a very bad offense that only worked against Michigan last year, where they won three games in overtime. And Michigan won the first game against, I believe, in South Bend on a Friday. Yeah, and they whipped them in that one. Yeah, and then Notre Dame got points off of them. And Notre Dame played a ton of overtime games last year, unsurprisingly. Well, so, I mean, they have probably the best goalie in the country, in the conference for sure. Yeah, one of the top ones. Ryan Bischel. Yeah, Pietel is back at, at Tech, so they well, might be battling for the Richter, but... Uh, Bishop had a great season for them last year, and he's why they were there, because, boy, their metrics were rough. And you looked at them, they were never a great positional uh, possession team in their They've never best been. years, but they're typically like 48% in possession. That's sort of thing. always play Michigan tough. But always. last year, they were 43.5% possession. They were a bottom seven possession team in the country. And the only other teams in that group were like Lindenwood, you know, Long Island, teams like that. Like, yeah. they were brutal last year. They couldn't score to save their lives. They couldn't control play. And they had an awesome goalie. And he dragged them to the cusp of the tournament. But And he might be able to do so again. It's that thing where they're adding a decent recruiting class. Nobody big impact, but some solid players. Some depth players. It's just like, is Jeff Jackson, you know, Frank Beamer? And this is the end of the line these next few years. Well, not with Bishop. I mean, if they have Bishop, they're going to 
Yeah, but if we're talking about the rest of the rot, like my thing is that can they snap back to being Notre Dame? No. Or will they be well a sad version they're of gonna, Notre Dame, which they were last year? They're probably going to be the sad version of Notre Dame that gives Michigan a hard time because it's still the same formula. And you have that goalie. Yes. And Michigan's just always But I'm struggle. talking more in projecting the Big Ten. Oh. If they're good Notre Dame, they're at the top of the league. They were for many years. If they're sad Notre Dame, which they were last year, they're not. They missed the tournament last well, year for the first time in eight years. And uh, yeah, I mean, my question with this they program were close. is, was that a down year? Or is this, we're going downhill as a program because our coach is 70 years old? and Well, they look like they're going to be more like last year. At least for this particular year, you'd think. But and you know they're going to need a scorer to emerge. They usually get one or two guys that are just kind of college hockey players. They're not necessarily NHL future guys that scores at a decent rate or two. And those are the guys that like what Max Ellis was one and Ryder Rolston and I mean those kinds of slaggers. Those kinds of guys. <laughs> there's that another slagger. Yeah, there's a third one, right? You want to know? What their highest goal scorer was last year? Uh, he probably had twelve. Eight. Wow, <laughs> I overshot they by four. Were, it's they were terrible as a team last year. They I had just a really think, good goalie. You know, but for our purposes, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it matters it, in the in conference, it, but it, not it, like at this point. The Michigan thing is, it's the Twins in the playoffs. Like it's like a curse at this point. Yeah. It's in our heads. Yeah. Well, it was on the ice last year because we. Well, and it's not even against Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame at Yost. Michigan goes to South Bend. They play well. well. Yeah, but... Well, I think they finished the season against Notre Dame at Yost again this year. Why do they do that? Well, they they finished both halves of the season against Notre Dame. What you should do is... Me, personally? No, the scheduler. All right. That that you've issued a a warrant for his (laughs) arrest. (laughs) They should schedule Notre Dame at Yost, like... In November, during a basketball game on Friday night and a, and a football game on Saturday <laughs> And no one so has no to one go. no one is allowed to watch. <laughs> Lock the doors so no fans can get be in. Like, be like a, just the COVID series yeah. <laughs> where they're going to play, but no one's Until they go. win a game at Yoast, we're not letting fans in. They're not they're – not, <laughs> the team has to prove Hey, Michigan worthy. at least got points off of them last, last year. They did, and that's going to be a key for this season because this is – Projected to be a new Big Ten in that every year we've had one team that is the laughing stock and one team that you say we got to get all the you know it's been Wisconsin. There's not going to be that team. There isn't, and every week is going to be war. Every week is going to be which is good. I mean, I think that's I think that's fun because I I mean that's why the NFL rules is because you want you don't you don't want to have to go twelve and zero. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's fun, but then what does it incentivize you? We talk about this in football all the time. It incentivizes you to play no one. So people are like, oh, Michigan isn't playing anyone this year. And I'm like, yeah, you know what that does? It hikes our winning percentage chances. And so I'm like, I'm in because I want to win a freaking national title. But that's not fun. It's just satisfying. And when to have fun games is when you can go – when you get a four-point weekend and you're like, yeah, that, that rules. You get a win, and you can steal yep. a point in the other game. Like that's. But this is—it's going to be about consistency and yeah. playing well each weekend and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, that's kind of what the majority of the Big Ten was last year. Sands, Minnesota, who was running away with it, and Wisconsin, yep. who was way behind. Was, it should be that everybody just splitting, but even more 
clumped together. So it's going to be a lot of competitive weekends. Uh, this has been a long hockey cast. Do you have always is. Um, any final thoughts or predictions or anything that you want to no, listen to in a year? No, I did very well on my stupid predictions last year. They will be published later this week, and hopefully I'll do well again. Or hopefully Michigan will do well, and you won't bring your personal vendettas onto the hockey cast. Uh, I think that we probably think Michigan will finish in the top three and hopefully higher. Hopefully, but but that's probably be very. Would you be di- standings? And would you be disappointed with a third place finish in the Big Ten? I think it would have to be circumstance. Like you'd have to just look at you know if they were two points behind the first and one point behind the second, that's different. Okay, you would probably be disappointed with a fourth place. I think I'd be finished disappointed with probably, fourth place. Yeah. Um, third place is kind of in that realm. We don't know how good Michigan State is. We don't know what the ceiling of Minnesota is. It feels like Michigan's right there with all of them. I mean, the the big thing for the Big Ten is that Michigan has not been competitive in, in winning a Big Ten regular season in all but really one season. Yeah. In the it would be nice to Narado I mean, era. Two years ago, we were like, this is what we need to do. And last year, it was like, let's win this darn it's league. It's basically been like if you're in a baseball division where one team in your division is like 35 and 5 through 40 games. And you're yeah. like, it's May 10th and we've, we're out we're, of it. Wild card time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it's been. It's been like we show up on December 1st and some team, Notre Dame or Minnesota, it's is just 11 and 1 to everybody. start the season. And it's like, oh, it's over. And we, I mean, last year, we were thrilled. Finishing second. Yep. Locking it up two years in a row. So hopefully this is the year that Michigan. It would be has fun to have a real title race going on. Uh well they had it two years ago and biffed it in South Bend, but um, hopefully this year they defy the odds and finish it. for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week where we will be a much shorter episode and real hockey will be discussed.